Hello and welcome to the Hawk's Nest live stream show. My name is Brandon Kane, and I do appreciate you as ever for tuning on in, as well as all the new subscribers that have been jumping aboard recently throughout this tremendous offseason we've been having here over on the channel. We've got some more defense we're going to be talking today. In fact, is that thing all defense all the time today? We spent enough time with that offense and that explosiveness that exists over there. I want to talk a little bit about this particular defense because as much as the offense may have to carry the day as far as being the torchbearer, the defense is still going to have to do its part and maybe even have some potential to go beyond that and do more than just tread water, not be at the back end of things, not be setting bad records as far as the most, I believe they had most yards given up in the secondary at one point a couple years ago, and then two years ago was most yards given up receiving to running backs a couple of years ago, and they were setting record pace through like 11, 10 games into the season. So you're looking for them to get around into the middle point of things, and you're looking as well for this new defense that you have brought aboard, the Vic Fangio cover two shell. You know, when are we going to get the returns of this? We had turned away from our cover three, and you know why aren't we now seeing uh, you know, the defense showing a little bit more vibrance to it than we did last year, where once again it was in the back end. In fact, it probably one of its worst years in total because even in those aforementioned times when you were setting record paces, 2020, 2021, you were at least able to turn things around by the end of the season. Uh, some of that came on the back of weaker opponents, but you did do it. Uh, but they were not really able ever fully to do that last year. They seemed to actually wear down as the year went along. And the run, the run game, the run fits, all that other stuff is definitely at the forefront of this. And that's going to be a big question mark going in to this season. But one of the places that you can help, I think, the run game, and one place the coaching staff is counting on helping the run game is going to be in uh, having the secondary players be a little bit more active and coming down and helping out. We certainly know in Jamal Adams, you have when he's healthy, one of the better tackling strong safeties that exist in football. But, uh, and and I, I think even the people that would ding Jamal for his coverage liabilities and the things that he can't do necessarily if you play him deep would acknowledge that. He is fantastic against the run. And I, there may be a couple better, but that's his one of his foremost skills he brings to play if he can stay healthy. Even if he can't stay healthy, you still get Julian Love, who was a top 25 player last year in tackles in the NFL. And I'll tell you, there weren't a lot of safeties top 25 in the NFL in tackles. He's as willing as anybody to put his nose in there and um, and get dirty. And then, of course, on top of all this, you've got Devin Witherspoon, who many would have acknowledged outside of Seahawks fan base, this just being a general thing that you would hear about from him, uh, you know, nationally speaking, is him being with really not even the the guy in second, you know, I didn't even hear anybody, you know, really even say second place was close in this from what I was hearing nationally wise. And that was that he was the best tackling cornerback in this draft. You start to bring these elements to bear in the secondary, that's going to help you out. Today, though, we're going to talk another thing that I think is going to lead into allowing for the, uh, this new, for this defense to be able to to flourish and be able to have that secondary help a little bit out with the front, because I know many of us are still concerned about the defensive line and where it's at, and if it's good enough at this point to, to hold the day, I mean, it's a, I think it's a valid valid concern at this point. You've got some youth, you, you don't have necessarily as much nose tackle strength and depth as you probably would like. Seahawks are probably going to be making a move here to reinforce the ranks, but let's concentrate today a little bit on the secondary and what they did. And uh, shout out to uh, Brett Coleman, does great work out there. Um, and he did his little Seahawk featurette on the team a bit. And he had a point, you know, it was a little bit of a detail that had gone 
under the radar for me throughout kind of the season last year, getting into the emotionality of things and getting stuck a little bit on the fact that really at the end of the day with this, what I'm watching with the Seahawks defense is these coverages that just stay so soft and so unwilling at times to play anything tight at the forefront of it. And this defense even still had a little bit of that within it, but it is a different turn of the key for our Seahawks. It's not this them merely doing the same thing. So I'll show you a couple thing. This is the coverage rates from the Seahawks last year. And this is between the 20s because this is, you know, once you get in the goal line situations and stuff, things play a little bit differently down there. But you notice when you go down this list that like all points of data, this, this tells a story. And let's, let's also acknowledge that when Seahawks were running through the Legion of Boom, just as many of you guys are already hip to this, I'm just any people are a little, maybe, you know, weren't as aware of this, of course, through the years of the Seahawks legendary defense. And then for many years after it was a legendary defense, you continue to run cover three as a real forefront coverage. 70, 75, 80, 85% Legion of Boom days, you might've been even cracking into the 90% realm of it. You were always running it at the highest rate of anybody in the NFL. And you used to run it in a certain way, of course, when you had Brandon Browner and Sherman on each side to where you could run a press look out of it. And then as the years went along, it was a little bit more now about having your corners and off coverage to protect, protect at times, in my opinion, against some of their speed liabilities. You know, they, they're not going to be quick enough. They're not going to be able to get the hips flipped around fast enough to stay with those receivers if they do try to press, uh, especially if they miss their press. But this uh, shows you things that certainly make sense and we already would know. Uh, number one, you see no in cover zero. This is when you're, you're going to be going, bring in the house, right? This is, this is uh, everybody's coming. We're going to man up on the outside and hope your guy can hold up. The Seahawks ran cover zero at a very infrequent rate last year. So 31, 31st in the league and how they run cover zero. This is a representation of also the fact they just don't tend to like to run much blitz um, and even beyond that. So that's not a shocker there. Uh, the cover one, cover two, uh, a little sprinkling of that in. Cover one is uh, certainly something that they've done in the past. Cover three, that old friend, still running it. But when you notice this, this stands out to me when you when I looked at this is the 34.5% when you're running that is a big difference, I feel like, from where they were eight years ago, where they were four years ago, and how much of the frequency we would have ran with this type of defense. And something has picked up the picked up the room of that in this stead. And it's interesting too, because you went to this Vic Fangio cover two shell and you might've thought, well, that means we'll probably end up, because I think in Vic Fangio's defense and at least the old days, they would still end up a lot of times, 40% of the time in cover two. Yet you notice on this, you're actually over only in pure cover two situations last year, 6% of the time. So you're not really running it to the Fangio way of things and where it's coming from, where are the changes happening at is this quarter, quarter, half coverage. That's of course what's standing out here. Quarters within that as well as that 7.5% just running pure quarters uh, is certainly, um, you know, I guess sometimes called cover four, I think, uh, is certainly very much has some reminiscent stuff with quarter, quarter, half. We're going to get into the details of quarter, quarter, half here. But this stood out to me as a rising percentage, as something maybe the coaching staff kind of as they're onboarding the new, they're still doing a little bit of the old, but they're really bringing into the new here and what they're doing. And I know that there are only so many coverages in the books, but what I do like also about the splits of the way we look at these coverages is that there's so much more difference within this than what it's been in the past. You have just, instead of being this 80%, you know, cover three and then 15% cover one or something in that, that realm. And then these others just making up such a small, now you're actually forcing offenses to, understand that you're going to potentially be in any one of these coverages 
at any given point in time. And then that makes you that much harder to prepare for. That makes you that much more predictable pre-snap. And these are two things that beyond the defense getting better and out chess matching somebody else on the other side of it, these are two things that have been big things that have held back the Seahawks in recent years from a defensive standpoint. You know, you're, you're taking the ability to disguise, you're taking that component of the game and you're not introducing it. You're not even trying to take advantage of that. You know, well, we're going to show them what we are. This is what we are and good luck stopping it. And that's all great when you've got Hall of Fame level of talent across the board. But when you've got to manufacture stuff from time to time, it just doesn't really work. There's going to be a part of this I'm really going to like when it comes to the cover cover half to me that stands out. And I mentioned it in the title for my video and I believe that this is the case. This is a, this is a defense for playmakers. This is a defense that's going to allow you to do some different things, which will then allow a little bit more freedom out there for your guys to, you know, jump routes and go make a play. Because when you are structured up, let's go back and look at this. When you are structured up in this old Legion of Boom defense, and you can see here's the press look you got on the outside, you know, your post snap, you've got to get your bail technique. It's literally the what they tell their used to tell their corners. You're you're running backwards now. You're staying on top no matter what. You know, Earl Thomas, you're in deep center field. And while Earl Thomas was able to man that center field and get himself some interceptions and and do and definitely be a playmaker back there, and I, I, I Earl Thomas was fantastic. Uh, and Quandary Diggs as well when he inherited kind of into that role certainly picked it right up. And though he doesn't maybe have the pure speed of Earl, he has every bit you could argue maybe the instincts and certainly the understanding of the game. Um, and how it plays in, from a secondary standpoint. But what you are led to here with this is a predictability. This paid Manning here knows that that, that Chancellor's going to be coming down. He knows those corners are going to drop it in a bail. He knows Earl Thomas is going to go over the top. He knows this pre-snap. He knows this in the week leading up. It is no surprise. To me, in the modern NFL, you have to start to adjust that. You've got to start to build in those places where if there's 10 advantage points on the board there that you can go grab, grab all of them. Why leave one out just for the sake of leaving one out? And the Seahawks are stopping leaving one out. And what's that then allowing is more kind of plays like you're going to see here today. I'm sure you guys have, many of you probably already seen it here that's in the chat, which is the um, Quandary Diggs play that I showed yesterday and I put on the channel where Quandre is playing in his quarter, quarter responsibility. And yet because of his film study, because he's got some help on the back end and other places in the coverage, because he knows in this spot that that the uh, Raiders don't exactly know the type of coverage they're running because the Seahawks have been more willing up into this year. This is deep into the season. They've been more willing to leave outside of just running cover two, just as this one, like a, a guy playing an instrument and they're just hitting the one chord. You know, now it's, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm car what I'm seeing. And as uh, Quandre talked about in that play, he made this play, he jumped this route, he left his responsibility because he knew the wheel was never thrown to by Derek Carr. That that was never going to happen. And this is what you want your smart players to be able to do. But if he's playing deep center field on this kind of play and sees that kind of situation, he doesn't have the ability to break that off then. He's got a whole center field deep that he has, both halves of the field that he's got responsibility for at that point. That means there's just no way he can go and try to you know pull, pull the trigger on that play. Go get it. And I think this defense allows you a little bit more in its structure to do that. Take a look here at the, uh, this is, it's called cover six. It's also called quarter, quarter half. So this is something that I know that football terms with their confusion when we call it this, but then we call it that. I like quarter, quarter half because it just says now snazzier and cover six, cover four, cover three. It can all kind of run together in the mind, uh, I think. But let's go through a little bit of the 
interesting aspects uh, of this defense because I do think there's some interesting little wrinkles here um, within this. And sorry, I'm just getting my stuff set up here for my my notes. Um, so you've got the you've got the cover two to the weak side, um, and what does that mean? That means that where you see the half field read here with the free safety, that's and obviously to away from the strong side of the formation. Now this has got a fullback look on this, but you could just as much imagine this fullback as being a slot receiver here, and uh, and then having you know your S player here that they've got, which is the Sam linebacker instead a slot corner. So you can flip that out here in your mind. The coverage would still say the same, still say stay the same. Uh, the strong side, as I often tell you guys, is to usually the right side. Sometimes it goes to the left, especially if there's a bigger side of the field over there with the hash marks. But it will tend to most offenses run right-handed, right-handed quarterbacks, right side. So you can count on some of that from a defensive standpoint when you are building your defense. And I know our alignment up front here is not going to be the same the way we run our cover four because we're. <laughs> you can imagine what we would do with ours is these ease would be wide nine technique out, outside linebackers, and then we'd have probably the defensive tackles a little tighter in their splits if they're running a four-man front, as we saw they often did last year. But what I want you to really concentrate on is going to be really the secondary place here because this is the to me the interesting interesting part uh you have essentially sort of the cover four the strong side of the field essentially here uh where you have strong side of the field you have extra guys and then you have some backing to the back side of the field some reinforcements for the rank to the back side of the field so let's stand up first and understand it's not a pressure-based defense necessarily we're going to get to where you can maybe turn some of this into a pressure-based where it's easier to go from this to to move this into now blitzing situations rather than it was being that it was it was not as easy to blitz from the four man front with uh you know cover three situations you couldn't do it as much but you can dictate a little bit more of the action i think from this group of things so when you're running cover two to the other side of the field notice the corner difference here think of mike jackson being on the left hand side that well on your right as you're looking at the screen here he's going to be the one fourth guy this that that's going there to the right side so he's dropping to that 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 quarter coverage deep whatever you want to call it there but he's basically getting deep to his section of the field and he's got a strong safety who's going to be deep to his section of the field right next to his shoulder but you'll notice on the other side the place that you would now have normally Tariq Woolen, remember all through last year, our corners don't move. Woolen tends to be over on that left side. He's now showing up in a press look, isn't he? And this is where this gets interesting as we start to really go a little bit deeper into it with me. Because offenses will oftentimes with defenses move their best receiver over to that X spot. The X is the receiver that's going to be on the left-hand side of the offense there. He's going to be on the line of scrimmage. See how the Z is a little bit behind in his alignment to the X? The Z is going to usually be off the line of scrimmage. But this gives the opportunity then for a guy that wants to press to know that he isn't dealing with a receiver who's going to have necessarily a free release on this play, meaning it's better set up for the cornerback to be able to press him. And then he has the free safety going behind him with the half field read or a cover two sort of uh, look on the backside to where he's, he's protected. He can take some chances. He can, he can roll with that a little bit. Um, you've got the hook defender there. It, they can go a different other places there with the line of the weak side linebacker there. Part of me likes the thought process of potentially here where you flip in. I don't think I don't know if the Hawks would do it, but you could even flip in a you know Wagner into the will here, move a Bush or move a Brooks then into the pure middle, and then you've got you know either one of those you know kind of Wagner's protected a little bit more and where you kind of align him at that point because his responsibility and coverage is going to be a little bit lessened 
to me than uh, what you might ask of the middle linebacker. But notice as well, the middle linebacker here isn't being asked to do what you do in a cover two look, which is you're going to have him just run straight up the football field, right? He's going to take his own little one-fourth of the field between the two hashes, and he's just going to sprint up. So there's a little more free-range roam here, really with both, in my opinion, the will or the mic. And, to, and the will within this defense can be ubiquitous between a linebacker or let's say you've got a dynamic, strong safety who can get downhill and do some tackling. You can kind of work both in whoever, if you want to do this. So if you, for those that have thought, well, what if we were to want to bring Jamal in as kind of a linebacker type, you could do it here. And then you have Julian Love as your one fourth uh, de field defender. I also like this because if you look at the, the way the quarters work over to the strong side of the formation between the strong safety there and the, the, the other corner on the right side, is that now with a guy like Mike Jackson, you have some protection right to his shoulder there where he can play that off coverage, but then you've got the strong safety there that can kind of take away a route if there's an issue that they have on a particular route or you know Mike's got a little bit more protection there. Woolen becomes the guy a little more, in my opinion, on an island to a tiny degree here, especially if those linebackers have to play to more of a center, center point on the center place on the field as far as in the middle of the defense. Um, but I do love where you really start to now take advantage of what Woolen does best here. Kind of, I'm not really, it's not building a defense around, just taking advantage of the strengths within your defense. You've got a guy here in Quandary Diggs as your free safety here, as I just showed you on that last play, who might have, in the, in the previous play, he was quarters responsibility, so he's probably less likely to break off his coverage if he's in the half wide here. But if you flip the field like it was there with the Raiders, where you know their formational strength, you know, just flips it a little bit, so that his responsibility sort of changes now to a strong safety. Like I've talked about before, this defense does have a little bit more of a reliance on your strong safety needing to do free safety stuff and your free safety needing to do strong safety stuff. You gotta have a little bit more. It's it it helps it if you have guys that can do both of those two things. But this is where I think there's less of the one guy out in center field or the your corner on your island who, who's got to just think about staying deep over the top. There's more of an opening now to to be a little more, it's not full on pressure based. It's still going to protect on the back end. But I do like to think about this, the door that opens up of what if you want to keep all of the rest of the coverage on this the same way, or you have, uh, you have your free safety going to that half field, but then you turn it into a man coverage situation. So it, because instead of it being, you know, just quarter, quarter, half, you, you've got a man-based element to it in Tariq Woolen. Because that's, of course, what he did best last year. And then there's, of course, the nuance between the, do, the, the two places. You know, they've got the, the, the scheme's got a lot of little bits. Like, the, let me give you guys a little bit of a drop on this. And I'm still starting to unpack all the little tidbits of this, uh, of this quarter, quarter half and how, how teams run it and how they kind of use off it. Um, there's a thing called the mod coverage, M-O-D. Uh, scheme essentially means that the cornerback will have man coverage on the re one receiver if he runs deep and outside routes. If the one ends up running a route shorter than five yards, uh, the cornerback calls smash or under. So there's a little bit more moving parts, and that's just there's a couple of different little terms they've got within it that are baked in on just handing off guys, transitioning to guys, changing guys over within this defense when I was looking into it. Um, Carl Scott's actually got a really nice YouTube video online of him talking to people, kind of a little symposium deal that he's discussing a little bit of the coverage, a guy that's, of course, kind of taken over, I think, a bit more for Desai and, and his loss this offseason as he's moved on to become defensive coordinator with the Eagles. So... It get, they get into some of the details of this, but there's more room now for you to do some creative things. Remember the problems we had with the cover three? Maybe one of the big killers of the cover three was the flood zone concepts and McVeigh being at the head of it. Certainly last year, even I think Shanahan really was picking that up from McVeigh and even almost doing better with it last year than McVeigh's done in recent years. Probably because he had better talent to do it. 
but it's essentially that you're running one guy through a guy's zone and then another guy right behind him and he's going to be wide open because your zone defender is going to pick up the first guy and keep him and he's not going to hand off and it's a hard thing it's a hard balance to strike as a defender to get that right um, but this is a defense now that can start to bake some of that stuff of, okay, if this goes to that, then I'm handing you off to this and you know it. If we see this and this, then I'm going to, and there's a little more react, there's a little more thinking going on. It's a little bit less of just, we're going to line up and play it as it is. And we're just going to beat the hell out of you. And you, you know, what's coming. We know what's coming. There's nothing you can do about it. Good luck. Less of that now anymore. More to me with, if you can transition to more and more if this quarter, quarter half can take more of a prominent role. I think that it has just more ability than to, to do some fun things within it. Also, I believe blitzing. I talked about if you have if you if you have a play set up, which I think the Seahawks are looking to do, this is Julian Love, why he's brought in two years, $12 million. I don't think you're bringing him in just to be a slot corner. I think there's times you're going to look at moving him around. Having him then as that strong safety, bringing Jamal in and what would be termed on this is the will linebacker. But what you'd be doing instead is you've got now Tariq coming up in press and then here comes Jamal over onto the edge of the line of scrimmage. Now can you start to dictate some of the some of the way that they, the offensive line rolls their protections at that point? Drop them out post-snap, play some games down there, bring Bobby up along with them as it, in a blitz package here. There's less of them having to be formatted to a certain little bubble, bubble zone role that they have to inhabit as you would in the prior defenses and more of a, will, a way to me where you can have these three vets between Quandre, Bobby and Jamal, and these guys can, because they played so much football, when they do see these things happen on the field in a certain way, let's go. Let's pull the trigger. Pull the trigger like we saw from Quandre on this play, where he's got a responsibility. He's supposed to protect deep, but he bails off. Film study had taught him he doesn't have to. Film study was such a big part of the Legion of Boom that doesn't get talked about because we do speak about how talented they were, but those guys lived and breathed football. Lived and breathed football. It wasn't a matter of they just, well, trained really hard when they were in the facilities. Those guys talked about how even after they left, they were still, it was on their mind. They were still discussing it. Again, I showed you the, the deal there, that last play. Let me show you the, this is the setup, by the way, of what it looks like live. So here's your, you know, here's your cover six here, sort of on paper, so to speak, right? But let's see how it plays out on that play with Quandre and what he was looking at. And that's this way where you've got Tariq kind of up, not full on press look, but up near the line of scrimmage, certainly not playing really far off. And then we got the corner at the top playing off coverage. And he's got a responsibility to get deep. He's got a half field read with Ryan Neal. And then Quandres is in quarters here rather than having the half field read. But you see the linebackers up the line of scrimmage with Cody Barton, who ends up tipping this ball, props to him. And Jordan Brooks as well. You can play some games with that near the line of scrimmage, get them a little bit confused in what they're what they're seeing. It's a fun defense. And, and the more I, I research into it, the more I'm liking it because of that creativeness, because of the, the, the different things that you can do within it. Um, and then I think it's still as nice because it's going to appeal enough to Coach Carroll's um, want to keep things clear over the top. That's, of course, his defense starts with two things, stop the run and preventing the big play. And if you're going to take risks, if you're going to be pressure-based, one of the first things that you have to make your peace with is the big play is probably going to happen from time to time when you get when you get got. Um, and Carroll's not yet shown a willingness to kind of exit that approach. So this kind of finds us a happy, maybe medium ground and a, and a place to open the door to get better use out of Tariq Woolen and man situations, to get better use out of, you know, with Jamal Adams down near the line of scrimmage and not having to kind of force the role where he's a safety coming down at the line of scrimmage 
And you have now the cover three thing going on the back end. And again, we get back to that predictability standpoint. It's, it's what got Seattle. They could be very predictable in the amount of times they're going to run that coverage. And they ran it for so long, it, it stopped being something that caught people off guard. It started to become something that had been very refined as a process and how to beat it. And the, this is why these adjustments were necessitated. It doesn't mean that there's still a day that you can utilize some cover three here and there and find some real success with it. But it has to be something now that's mixed in. It's this part of the game that we didn't, didn't really utilize with the Legion of Boom as much in that era because we didn't have to. We have to now, even with this very talented team. You can't leave advantages on the table. You got to pick them up. And there's certainly some downsides with asking players to do a little bit more thinking. But uh, I, I've often said the modern football player can do more thinking. They're more capable. They can handle more moving parts. It doesn't just have to simply be some sort of caveman. You there, cover that. Don't, don't do think too much. Hit man, see man. You know, they can, they can think through some stuff. They can pass guys off. They can hand things off. They can think through. I mean, look at, look at, uh, and shout out, by the way, to Quandre Diggs. I haven't said that early enough here today, but shout out to Quandre Diggs who responded to me on Twitter when I was asking him about this play. But, you know, look at how, how smartly Quandre responded to my, to, to my tweet as far as asking about the play. Look at how many things he's got breaking down in his mind to arrive at the place where he can, um, he can jump the route. You know, he's, he's telling you responsibility. He's telling you what you're seeing. He's telling you what film study is. He's telling you what the, the tendency is of the Raiders when they do run the, um, the, the, the switch release um, on the fly sweep and that they do go to the backside and, and bam, he was on top of it. Fantastic play. So get hyped uh, for this, uh, get hyped up for this, this year for Quandary Diggs, get hyped up for the secondary. I don't know what the defensive line is going to do. I think many of you are very right to be a little bit worried about whether or not it's going to be good enough uh, to allow us to be a true contender. We think it, we think everything's great enough to be able to get to the playoffs. We all pretty firmly stand in that camp, but is it going to be good enough to get us up over the top in there? I don't know. I think it's going to help though, having at least three guys, Jamal, back in there. Bobby certainly helps. Witherspoon in there is going to help. Love in the secondary is probably going to help. Having those guys in the back end that are willing to tackle on top of that, especially when this is such a defense that's very gap required. You've got your gap responsibility. And if you're there, you got to make the play. If you have safeties that aren't able to come down and be gap responsible, then they might be down in their gap, but they're going to just get run over. I know some people have worries with that too, with, with, with digs. Um, as being his main issue it was mentioned a couple times in my video comments, but you know that's Earl had his share of missed tackles too. Yeah, those smaller free those smaller free safeties are always going to have to have their moments where it's not always going to look pretty, especially when the Derrick Henrys of the world or those kind of like are coming downhill at them. You know they're going to need some help. Luckily, he's got himself a lot of help. Please, folks, uh, hit that like button if you could for me. I would really appreciate it. If you're not subscribed up, please do get subscribed up. I, I do appreciate that as well. I hope everyone's having a great summer. We had the uh, All-Star game here with the baseball, which was great to see. There's also been um, some really great debate here online. We're going to probably play it here later. I've got it kind of segued up, but I want to get through some of the comments before I play it. Some very good debates online here. <laughs> Uh, as far as uh, the cornerbacks go from last season, boy, this thing just keeps getting fiery and more red hot. It seems uh, by the month, the uh, the Tariq Woolen Sauce Gardner debate has become the new Richard Sherman Darrell Rivas debate. It's it's getting it's getting very very hot. And uh, there was just uh, there's been some pros who've come out and called it like they see it. And for UC Hawk fans wondering about this particular thing, whether or not it's 
our just our opinion that Tariq's better, that it's like, yeah, like this guy's better. And that you might be thinking, well, no, it's your it's your own biases that are building into this. That's what this is. You're thinking this because you're a Seahawks fan and you love your player and like all fans, you're overrating him. And that's what the, it's not what that is here. Asante Samuel Jr., a guy with more career interceptions than Darrell Revis, played a very long career. Probably won himself a couple of Super Bowls during that time there with the, the Patriots. You know, he came out this past week and he was like shaking his head about these lists with putting sauce where they're putting it. Yeah, I just like, no. Yeah, and he started getting a lot of heat from Jets fans. Boy, they're you could they're they're on sauce. They're on the sauce jock right now, full on. They're they are they're drinking the the green uh, Gatorade on that one. And he's he still kept going hard. It's not that he just come through the tweet. He kept coming back with a couple of different things, like you know, Tariq's better. He takes away the ball. He's and all these Jets fans are trying to throw all these weird stats at him. And then. Uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, New Detroit Lion, former Eagle, jumped into the fray on this one. And, and he started going off. And then Sauce went back off. So they they all got on a conference call with DJ Reed on there as well and uh, Darius Slay discussing, uh, you know, kind of just debating it out. And Chauncey going, yeah, it's, it's, it's like what we've said. It's funny because it's all the things we've said is what the players are saying, which is, you know, you're just in a bigger market. You're in a bigger market. And that's what it is you're in new york you got the pub so like doesn't mean you're better and we know who's better and i think one's better if he's in a bigger market he'd be more celebrated off what he did last year and um so uh it's interesting to hear you get it actually from the pros it's one thing when the fans say it but when it's guys that are pros who played who are playing i think it does uh hit a little bit differently and i i don't think we've been necessarily just sensitive to this one it's, this seems to be a pretty a pretty live debate online as far as just the, the camps believe it. Obviously sort of Seattle versus New York fans. It's like the rest of the country's like, we don't, we don't really care. But I think the players also do kind of care a little bit. I think some of the reason you're hearing some of these cornerbacks pipe up about this, especially a guy like Asante Samuel, who had as many picks as he did through his career. And uh, maybe doesn't feel like from his standpoint, he is viewed as historically where he thinks he should be viewed for how well he did play. And he's seeing maybe something starting to roll down that lane a little bit like that with Tariq, <laughs> where then you have Sauce on the other side of it. And Sauce is not a bad player. I've never said he is a bad player, but he's a good tackler. But the handsiness and coverage is insane. And it's more than I have seen of any young player or any vet, for that matter, allowed to get away with in a very long period of time. And I, I'm not saying it's because he's in New York. I don't, I don't know the reasons. You know what I mean? I, I, I have no idea what the reasons are from that, but it is what I see on his tape. Go through any of his highlights. I, you know, we can run his all 22 from last year and it's just grab, 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 grab time and again. And if the officials stop, let him get away with it. It's, you're going to see a remarkably different player. We, Woolen wasn't really relying on the grabbing. He's just fast, athletic, long, and he, he's the unicorn out there as far as his build. So he can run with anybody. He's not scared. I mean, so it's a bit of a different different tale, but I have no doubt in my mind if they both stay healthy, that if these guys are both playing for five years, next five years, rel- you know, relatively good health, Wollen's a guy that's going to end up with easily to me 35, 40 picks, and I don't think Sauce touches 20. I think he has a hard time getting to 15 for the career. And uh, taking away the ball matters. And Wollen isn't awful as a tackler. So, uh, Please hit the like button, folks. Let's jump over here to the chat with you guys. I'll play a little bit of that tidbit from the uh, their conversation. They're kind of fun to listen to them <laughs> as Chauncey's trying to check 
he, he pulls out the listen to a vet <laughs> line to him, you know, still, still with that view of uh, sauce as kind of the rookie, I guess. But I uh, hope you guys are having a good day. Megan, it's good to see you in the chat. What's up, Seahawks? Jose Rodriguez. Good to see you as well. Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, Lazy Dog says, woof, woof, this dog in North Cal loves four rings and up north. Hell yeah. <coughs> I love four rings too. I want my four rings. Uh, Jose says, I'm still saying 10 and 7 because of the defensive line. I think that's fair, Jose. I think it's very fair. This is, uh, this is where the weakness exists and teams can get taken down by their greatest weakness, especially if it's a, a very, very big one. And you've got a couple of guys there, but you know, they're, they're going to need to reinforce some ranks unless they hope that they can just outscore everybody, which maybe that's the, maybe that's the plan. Magic Vlogs says, I'm thinking 13 and four this year, split the 49ers, lose the Bengals, Eagles, Ravens, maybe the Cowboys. Now we know my, my cat said 12 and five. I'm, I'm sitting pretty firmly right now at 12 and I am feeling kind of optimistic for that. Part of me feels like I probably should be around where Jose is or I should be more into a relative 10. I'm maybe drinking a little bit of my own little Kool-Aid here, the blue Kool-Aid. But uh, I love the team they put together and I've seen Coach Carroll get a lot out of a young roster. I don't think the schedule is very daunting. I think the division is easy as it's been in years. And I think the team can do something to get the, that help on the defensive line. It's not like one of those positions where we need a dynamic receiver at the last minute brought back to the team. You know, remember, for instance, the Seahawks were in that mode in, uh, what was it, 2006, right? We were, had, we were decimated by wide receivers, so we have to go make the first-round trade for, for Deion Branch with the Patriots. And uh, you just don't want to be in that place where you're making that kind of move. So I feel like you can just get a guy in there, unleash him, let him go. He'll know what to do. But you got to go get a talented guy somewhere. Magic says, well, it's maybe, well, it's a maybe. Do I think we can uh, beat them? Yeah, sure. Do we still have a decent team that could show up that week? Yes, but I think we win that game. I like it, man. I like the confidence. Gabriel, how you doing, man? Grug, what's up? He's got 11 and 6. V-Ray, what's up, man? It's good to see you. Ryan Ball says, if Jamal Adams can stay healthy all season, the Hawks go 15 and two. You heard it here first. Well, that's a bold proclamation and one I'm going to give you full credit for if that does click in, Ryan, because I don't think you ever heard anybody else say 15. 15 wins. That would be a hell of a season. Kellen, got some Niner fans in the house. How you doing, man? It's good to see you. Hope you're doing well. Kelton says, oh man, I still got this bird on me. Yeah, you know, it just doesn't go away. It's a friendly kind of bird. It's good to see you though. Uh, Ski Nations, you guys remember that the time the Niners won a Super Bowl in like 40 years? <laughs> I'll warn you, Kelton, we were getting some Niner fans coming in hot last time. So it's got the, it's got the chat. It's got the chat a little bit on edge ready, you know, like, oh, oh, we doing regular season. Oh, we doing regular season. Okay. Okay, we're doing regular season. I'm ready for regular season. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> it was going from like, oh, it's beautiful summer. Team's looking good. On paper, everything's real good. Niner fan. Niner fan. Get him. Get him. <laughs> Michael, uh, 49ers played their butts off only for management to let them down. No quarterback would be pissed if I was a Niner player. 
I, I would definitely, if the, if the quarterback situation sinks that team, I would definitely be looking at the Niner organization like, really, bro? We, you know, we, we played our butts off for years now and you've let this one position be the thing that's going to hold us back for years on end from winning Super Bowls. And you're not going to do anything about it. Especially you hear them like, I think they turned down the thought process going after, or at least initially they turned down before trying to go back and get him. But uh, Rodgers, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, they haven't really tried to be very outside of the trade up for Lance, but then that, that whole thing just is weird as well. The whole Lance thing is to me strange. Cause I don't know if I'd, I would love to have Shanahan under a lie detector and be like, did you want Mac or did you really want, did you want Lance or really want Mac Jones? And just, just give me the, give me the goods. You were general manager. Who was your call? There's an inkling here for me that I just don't know if he's was ever really in on Lance. We'll see. I guess their their quarterback competition will tell the tale. Uh, James Brandon, you follow the Twitter fight with New York Jets fans over Asante Samuel comments that Woolen was better than Sauce. He said you have to watch the tape. It's not all about stats. Uh, I I did, I did, and Asante Samuel is right in this, in my opinion. Just like I think Chauncey Gardner Johnson's right in this situation. And these aren't just like scrubs saying this. These are both really good players who have seen a lot of football. Um, it's, it's not really that hard. There's some determined, I tell, I say this a lot. There's, there's takes that I have that I might have to get into the depths of, and I might be on my own little, on my own little Island out there in the middle Pacific, as far as my, my take on that. But there's other takes that are, you know, really, this is just ridiculous. It's, and it's, it, it doesn't have to be, let's speak in, Let's speak in the, you know, these ultimates of one guy's got to suck. So the other guy's got to be great. The other guy's great. This guy's got to suck. It's not that, but we're getting down to who is more exciting. Who's really on the superstar approach. Who's really got the more upside or who's topped out where they stand. You know, who's being a little reliant on this, this grabby nature. That's obvious to anybody that can watch even in a casual nature. He's doing it. It's not, he's not doing it like here and there. It's, he's playing up to that line of the rules of how long you can grab every single play. And the refs are more off not letting him get away with it in a way they wouldn't let other corners. I don't know why. I, and I, I'm not trying to be the, you know, they're trying to make a Jets player look good, but they, they let him get away with it. Good. Good for him. Great. But now I'm not going to look back at you and go, yeah, you're just so great in your technique and you're just so wonderful. Like, well, you're, you're getting away with something that at some point or another they might decide over an offseason to tamp down on those kind of rules and you're done as a player. You can't do the same thing to Tariq in the way he's playing. But I, I do like watching it, James. It's been fun watching it. And the fact that I'll try to play it here after I get through the comments. The fact that uh, they had this four-man call going on and Darius Slay's back there trying to be all quiet. You can tell he don't want to say a whole lot with it. And Gardner's coming hard. And when Darius ain't coming hard, he's like, Stop soft selling it, Darius. <laughs> and Darius like, Darius like, what, what? No, it's all good, yeah. But it's a fun debate. I love it. It's great discussion. And you know, Quandre was also uh, in discussion talking about it too. It's a little bit with you know some of these lists about best free safeties in the game, and a lot of them not you know including him up on there and the disrespect, you know. And it's it is real. I think it's also just indicator to these players of you know who watches tape and who doesn't, who's caught up in just national hype and going with the herd and, you know, who's just really checking things out and what's going on. These corners that tell you the, who's the better one, you know, they they know what to look for. They know what they're watching. They're not just coming in with some out-of-pocket opinion. There's a reason they're saying what they're saying. Um, 
Michael C. 49ers played their butts. Uh, oh, uh, Michael says Seattle's on their hand. John has been taking care of players. John Schneider. John has a reputation here with John in, in this organization and how they do take care of players, I think has got to be probably pretty unparalleled within the National Football League. There's probably other teams that do handle and, and look after their players as much, uh, but I don't think that there's anybody that surpasses them. And you have, you know, the story I think you're referencing, Michael, probably what you're thinking to the forefront of your mind a little bit is uh, KJ Wright had another show uh, come out here recently with uh, Cliff Averill. Good show. Another fun show with a lot of really great details in it, uh, fun stories within it. And certainly that's an awesome channel. Should uh, definitely subscribe up to it. But uh, Cliff was, you know, talking about that neck injury situation. And you can, you can hear him discussing uh, how John Schneider took his track with him on that and, and how he, you know, guided, guided him through it and, and helped in a lot of ways in sounding a cliff of just kind of helping him to make that right determination of, I've, I can't do this anymore. There's other teams that let me sign a waiver. You know, Cliff's talking about these teams that are like, yeah, we'll let you play at that neck. Just, you know, sign this waiver. And uh, you have John going, you know, no, you sh- I'm not, you're not going to play for Seattle ever again. You shouldn't play. It's not right. And I do think that uh, in, a na- in a sport where everyone talks about, Michael, how cutthroat it is and how every organization will just, you know, get you wherever they can get you, I don't think that the Seahawks show a lot of evidence for that. There's certainly times they've got to do certain things with certain players that, that are all along those realms. But for those guys that have come in here and put the pelts on the wall and put their blood on the line and broken their bone and, and been a, like, they are treated in a lot of ways, almost like it would sound like you treat family rather than treating a player at times. And these guys coming back now, these guys being a part of the organization in their own little ways, um, I think is representative of that. Um, I think the players have told you this very same thing, just like Cliff did in that in- interview giving John his props. I've heard similar stuff from other players in regards to John like that. He, he seems to be a guy that, you know, gets it that this, the old mentality of just use him up and then throw him to the trash bin and go find the next thing. And that that's, that's a short-sighted mentality. Um, and that goes against the philosophy they've tried to, I think, probably create in that, that building. Greg, if you have uh, guys haven't noticed, the Jets are literally a carbon copy of the 2022 Broncos. And if you look at their schedule, I honestly see a five and 12 team season loading up for them. I can see it definitely going off the rails for the Jets, Grug. To your point, I can see where the failure of things will could happen. I do think that they have a little bit of a of a, a bump ahead of where the Broncos were with Russell Wilson. And why I would say that, Grug, is because they're going to have an offensive scheme there that Rodgers is going to know how to run. Rodgers, unlike Wilson, had proved at the Packers that he could run the West Coast offense and and do those short throws, be accurate with that type of stuff. He's got a guy, for instance, in Garrett Wilson, who's going to get open on those kind of West Coast routes very often and make his job a lot easier, like when he had Devontae Adams at times. I think there's going to be some echoes of that a little bit. Um, they've got a pretty good crew around. That offensive line is going to be a big part for me with the Jets. Can it stay healthy? Can the young, talented guys take steps forward if they are healthy? And if they do that, then they've got a chance. But if it's back to where that's been in recent years, I think they're definitely into that 5-12 and 12 range. Defense will probably do its part, but then they are, they're also in the AFC. They're also in a tough division. Kelton says, I'm disappointed in their quarterback injuries. What the F with that nonsense? Uh, with the, uh, the Niners stuff. Yeah. I, 
come back to that Lance thing for me, Keldon. That's why I, I don't know. I'd love to hear what you think and what your thoughts are as a Niner fan, but it, it does feel to me like Shanahan wasn't on board with that pick wholly. And if he wasn't on board with it and you're giving up all those first-round picks when your head coach isn't on board with it, that's they've done a great job in drafting. They're doing a great job in player development. We come back again to that place that this ain't all about shade on the Niners, but those players are going to be hella bitter 10 years from now, the Kittles and Fred Warners who potentially go through a Hall of Fame career, but know that they never got over the mountaintop because the team was never able to properly address the quarterback position. And we're talking about I would address it in a way to have a functional guy who can just stay upright. You know? It's the combination of those two things. But the Lance thing, I, I, the second it happened, I still remain in this place, Keldon. I think you were on the stream the, the, after the post game, but you know, the second that Lance got that, that foot broken, I was just like, the fix is in. He ran him on two power runs. It's the second week of the season. You know, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? He's moving the team up the football field without having to run power runs from the quarterback position. It just seemed like you're going to get him broken at some point or another. And it seemed almost purposeful. Like, all right, let me get back to Garoppolo. Okay. Michael says, the rest of the team needs to play at Geno's level. Now we got Bobby. Niners had their chance and they blew it. You had your chance and you blew it. It's maybe the, maybe the possibility. I think the Niners are certainly still the favorites right now. But uh, as I've said, and it's no shade. It sounds like I'm throwing shade at them. But, you know, they're, the, window is, the window's sliding. It's sliding. When it shuts, no one knows. Michael rebuild your and went to the playoffs. Thank you, Denver. Thank you, Denver, for that wonderful season. God, that was so much fun. Going to the playoffs and every every week watching another Denver L draft pick gets just a little bit juicier. Herbicide says, I see Spoon switching to safety at some point. Don't know if we would make a better strong safety or a free safety. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a possibility, Herbicide. I do think it's definitely within within reason. There's a lot of people that thought nationally of uh, analysts, draft pundits, whatever you would call them, who believe that Witherspoon's eventual transition was gonna would be happening to straight safety. I think that considering the fact he's 190 pounds, you're probably looking more likely him at free safety than you would be looking at him at strong safety. Though we also have to acknowledge herbicide that the safety's position is becoming more more just safety than it is free or strong. Both those guys got to kind of do both things. So he would be in that way, an, an example of the evolution of the position and where it's going by the requirements and what he can get accomplished from the position if you were to move him to free safety. But I do think that that's indeed where he will go. I also do feel like though Herbicide, he's going to have to first really, really fail out at first at, at corner then he's got to start, then he's got to not have any impact at slot. And then, then eventually he gets to safety if it's going to be that road. So there's got to be a couple of things that he just shows he can't do from for them to get there. And then that doesn't mean that he would be failing as a safety at that point, of course, Herbicide. But it just means I think that's where they would, they would find the best positional value for him first in those two spots before, I think, going eventually to free safety. But it's, it's well within reason, man. I could see it happening.
Uh, Leland Kimball has been a member of the Hawks Nest for 10 long months. Thank you so much for that, Leland, all that support. Says, what's up, 12s? Magnum Brandon. I like Magnum Brandon. That's right. That's right. This is 357 Magnum. You're asking yourself if I fired five or six shots. Well, in all the chaos, I forgot myself. My uh, Clint Eastwood turned into Ronald Reagan. I don't know. Why, Nancy? D-Boy in the house. What's up, D-Boy? Brian Myers in here as well. It's good to see you. Hope you guys are doing well. Michael C., what's the new safety's name? Uh, Seahawks safety. His name is Julian Love. Maze Guru, I think our backfield will be scary good this year. Scary for quarterbacks, for sure. Oh, I think so as well. It's, we're going to see and the modern analytic folks and all those, they want to say, you build your new defense, this ain't the 70s. You got to build it back to front, not front to back. Schneider and company taking a page out of that book in a big way. I mean, they are, they are uh, march stepping right along with this modernized approach because that's how we built it, both from how much draft capital we put into the position to how much money we spent at the position to how much of a commitment we have to getting depth all across the board as well in the secondary. Megazos, thanks for the coverage. Breakdown B, Got always gotten confused with them. I'm trying to, to not get too much into the nomenclature of uh, all the terms and stuff as much as I can, Megan, or at least try to explain as I can and keep things in kind of layman. So I'm hoping I'm getting there on that. I want to do more of these breakdowns and stuff from the coverage standpoint because uh, it does give, I think, a better view of everything outside in on this stuff. But uh, appreciate you. Thank you. Riverside Love is very nice to have around. Insurance can play three positions. Really good tackler. It's a lot of lot of bennies back there with him. And two years, twelve million dollars is not the money. You know, for what you get from him for that versus money you're paying in other places at the safety position. You know, which Diggs has been fine, but obviously with what you're getting with Adams, it's like no problem. You know, let's make a third of what Adams is, at least on the AP APY. I agree, Michael. If uh, Adams can stay healthy, we're going to be in great shape. Brian Myers' all-star game was crazy for sure. Julio's 41 bombs was insane. I He was he had that swing to where he knew just how strong enough he needed to swing to get it through the zone. Quick little strokes. And uh, the pitcher was throwing some, some just like, I think it was little little four-seamers. and But Julio knew, knew right where it was going to run into. And boy, he was just locked in. That was fun. Brian Myers was big uh, M's loss, pitching coordinator leaves for Texas A&M. It's tough. It's tough. I think a lot of though some some of this Myers too. Brian has been, I think, you know, with the Mariners getting the pitching they have back around and and doing what has done has been with the bullpen. Depoto really locking in on the right kind of guys to bring in the bullpen. Young guys on the rise. The older guys made a little bit left in it, and then the starting pitching has really been built you know, outside of Castillo. You know, just going and it's the high draft picks coming in. I think Logan, George, Hancock, those guys will all be high picks for the most part. So it's as much as I think that what they do good drafting wise, but uh, it'll hurt. It'll hurt. Mark Harbicorn, how you doing, man? It's good to see you in the chat. Do appreciate you. 
Uh, Megan, thank you for the $10 donation. Sorry, a little late on uh, acknowledgement, but you got a couple donos here. Appreciate you on that. She says, thanks for the coverage breakdown, B. I'm a little upset today as my new Kraken jersey has come unstitched and is fraying, but being here with you in the 12s helps. Okay, man, that, that, that uni is so nice. I would, I'd be in the same way. I got one little stitch that breaks out. I'm going to be stomping my feet going, what the hell? <laughs> like I told you, that thing was like, it's been like, you know, gold, gold uh, dressed or something, I guess. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like gold embroidered, pure raw gold embroidered into the stitching. It's a beautiful jersey though. Uh, Megan, thank you for another $10 donation. Uh, she says, question for you, B. Where does DeAndre Hopkins end up and why? The Pats, the Chiefs, or the Titans? Uh, I'm going to say that DeAndre Hopkins is going to end up on the New England Patriots. I think the Patriots end up giving the most money the Chiefs can't afford to give the kind of money the Patriots can. And so the Patriots went out because of that, because I think Hopkins, like Dalvin Cook, are trying to just, as much as anything, get the best payday. I don't think he'd go to the Titans because he doesn't know who's throwing him the ball. And at least with the Pats, he knows they're going to be doing a lot of intermediate stuff, working his skill set. He knows Belichick will feature him enough, or even if it's a short-term deal of like one year, $10 million with the Patriots, it'll be enough for him to know he can go in there and prove it. I mean, it's that, I mean, he goes to the, he goes to the Chiefs, it's probably like a one year, four and a half million dollar salary or something. I don't know what, I don't think they can afford a lot. They probably have some kind of contract extension or another. They got to get done with somebody, you know, and they're in their year three deep in out of the Mahomes deal, which as good as it's been of a deal, as nice as it is to help out the Chiefs, he's restructured it twice. It's still year three of a pretty major deal. So, you know, I don't think, I don't think they got the money to do it, but if he was smart to me, Megan, he goes to the Chiefs. If it comes down to just, I'm getting a proven deal anyway, I'd go to the Chiefs. Because I can go in there and go win a Super Bowl and help my legacy out and go get a contract after the year. And players have done that. So I, I, I think that'd be, the, that'd be the path I'd take if I was him. But all, everything I'm reading on the situation is that he wants to go get still paid. I mean, like he had the quote of, I can still play to 37. You know, he wants a three, four-year deal, which I don't think he's getting. He didn't get anything more than two years. Mm -mm. William Asabaku, how you doing, man? Go Hawks. Brian says, B, this is a great breakdown, man. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. I want to give a little clarity on it. Boy, it's, it stood out to me when I was watching the show where the stats were presented on that of how much they ran it last year. Um, I should have been paying more attention to that, quite frankly. Caught me off guard. But I uh, wanted, wanted to let you guys know because I thought it was a, a very little interesting tidbit. Maze Guru says they really needed to defend the swing pass to the running backs way better. That drove me nuts last year. I've got some unfortunate news, Maze. <laughs> um, the downside, every defense has a downside. Every defense has a weakness. There is no perfect... There is no perfect defense out there, of course. So in researching this quarter, quarter, half coverage, the thing that did stand out to me that got mentioned over and over again is that the vulnerability is on throws to the flat. So running, running back throws to the flat, slow crossers back across the field where the coverage has already been ran off. And then, and then the, and the defender who's initially in coverage in his zone will leave it, 
leaves it, and then that coverage runs off to the backside, and then that guy's wide open on this little simple drag route. So it's it has some holes in it that smart quarterbacks and offenses are going to attack when they see and recognize the coverage. But they have to recognize the coverage. This isn't you running out quarter, quarter, half, 70, 80% of the time like cover three. So the quarterback knows pre-snap, so he can do all of his processing pre-snap. And then post-snap, it's just a matter of one, 1,000, two, 1,000, dunk. One, 1,000, two, 1,000, dink. It's, it, it's one of those two things they're doing. So now they don't do it to do that as much. They don't know if it's cover three. They don't know if there's a press look. They don't know if there's maybe a man point you're running a little bit with it. Um, they don't know if you're going just cover one. Everyone's usually going to have usually the man on the outside a lot of times. So they're not sure of where you're going with it at that point, which now you can run it and the vulnerabilities are there, but they're not as easily taken advantage of like your cover three that was so predictable. So I'm sorry, Maze, it's probably still going to be a part of, part of what goes on down next year in that respect. Just gotta, we got to just rally the ball and yeah, limit those plays. Jacob Haas says, bro, I'm stuck at work. It's six o'clock, man. It's Miller time. You know what I mean? You tell that boss, okay? Tell that boss you you grab him by his you grab him by his little chicken neck, and you say, "Hey, listen, you son of a bitch. You listen to me. It is Wednesday in the middle of the summer. What are you doing to me?" And you just squeeze it just a little bit, and then release the end, and then just look at him dead eye. You'll be out. You'll you'll let you off at that point. Michael YT says Quandary is going to be more healthy means more big plays coming from him. One hundred percent the case, and that was something. Of course, I was leading if, leading into with my last uh, thoughts in that video that I dropped yesterday, and it's not just something I'm emptily putting out there. I don't think, and you guys can uh, those have been following me the last couple of years since Quandary's been here. Channel's been up all that time. I don't think there's any been one year where I hyped up this given year is the year where he's going to go off this season. This is a year, though, seeing how he transitioned to the new defense, seeing how now better that puts him in a position to go make plays like he made there against the Raiders, and understanding he's going to be a year healthier, understanding this is the most talented defense he has had here in Seattle since he arrived, and it's got the most depth, most protection, which is going to then allow him to maybe feel more like he's got the freedom out there to go do that. Then we got to the fact that if he just caught all those interceptions last year, he would have led the league in, in interceptions. And these weren't these weren't interceptions that were, you know, no, he had no chance at them, but we're counting them. These are interceptions where he's got two hands right through his chest, happens to drop it. I don't think he's shown himself to be necessarily bad with his hands throughout his time here. It was just kind of freakish last year and, and probably a little bit of a um of an example of him coming back from that injury and not everything being quite right. You know, maybe he's thinking about his foot on those kind of plays as much as anything else. And he got better as the year went along. He got stronger as the year went along. Uh, he seems like he's still got that chip on his shoulder. Go look at his Twitter today where he's, he, you know, he's, he's, he's on it. You know, you can, you can feel the passion through what he's saying um, and, and wanting that kind of respect. And uh, this year, I think he can go get it. This year, I think he can really go and, and show you um, what he's capable of because he goes out there and has that seven, eight interception kind of year from the free safety position. He'll finally be given his flowers and people go, oh, okay, yeah, we've got to acknowledge what he's been doing here through these years. Remember that stat too I presented yesterday. I think it's one of the more eye-opening stats is that we think about Earl Thomas as this playmaker and this ball hawk. And as I said in the video, many consider him the all-time best free safety in Seahawks history. I guess it depends on what you consider Kenny Easley in my opinion because Easley might be still my guy. Uh, but he played some strong end free so it's a little harder with that. But 
Earl Thomas would get an interception for you once every 4.4 games. Oh, right? So, but then, but then with Dwigs, you get one every 3.2 games. So better than a game better as far as his frequency of getting interceptions. But we don't, he's just not considered quite in that realm of being ball hawk like he is. And I'm not saying he's on Earl's level. I'm not saying he's as good as Earl. Earl did a lot of other things um, that there's things Earl did that probably Quanter can't do. So far as that's how much he could cover center field, how much he could play center field like it was covered too, essentially, in the way Earl played it. I don't think Quandary can quite do that all the time. He can he can do some shades of it. But I think he's going to be able to have a chance to make plays that even Earl didn't have a chance to make in this defense next year with this coverage because there's more opportunity to jump routes and, and to pull the trigger and go after it and go get it, not just stay stay clean over the top. Those center field safeties are can sometimes play their role a whole game. And if the offense never clips over the top, they're neutralized just because they're never in the play. They're never really being tested. They're, they're keeping a key part of the defense because the quarterback will say, okay, stay down on my check, stay down on my short route. But they can, they can spend a whole game just doing a whole lot of nothing at times and have done their job. Michael said, I got a Richard Sherman jersey signed by Russell. That's cool. That's strong. Connor says, I honestly can't believe Diggs didn't make the ESPN top 10 safety list. I didn't either, but these lists are always pretty consistent in being kind of ridiculous with that. It takes a guy like Bobby to be like seven, eight, all, all pros before they'll finally put an inclusion of a Seahawk. You know, they're very slow with that type of stuff. And as I said, that's, that's why I wanted to do that Diggs video too. It's, it's kind of why I've been wanting to kind of feature some of these players in recent weeks, be it Kenneth Walker, Lockett, uh, guys that aren't, I think, getting as much pub as they should and talked about as much as they should, not to just appreciate the players, but also in the understanding that these players are all part of what makes this team dominant next year, if it can get to that place and why it's real reasonable to think that that's a possibility because you have all of these different parts and pieces of this team on top of just showing the nature of being a good team on top of it. It's not just individuals playing for themselves that this is what should provide the confidence for this upcoming season and hope for this upcoming season. Michael YT says everyone's chirping except for Woolen. I he was starting to talk a little bit today. Nino started giving him some some hell for it online, uh, but he was he was talking a little bit today too as well. I like it. I like I like our players feeling like they're not being appreciated, man. That underdog that underdog feeling, man. That's a good one to tap into. And the survey with ESPN Brian was ridiculous. Diggs is absolutely a top ten safety in this league. It's, it's more of a question of is he a top five, not is he a top ten. At least, especially if free safety, but I mean, it's not like the game's also filled with a lot of guys playing amazing safety position stuff. Micah says, by the way, Sherman started his beef with Revis because Revis started talking trash about him on Twitter when Sherman was doing an interview to people about who's the best. Revis was butthurt. That's correct. You have a correct, uh, you have a correct way of putting that together on that. It sort of, you know, Sherman, Sherman didn't read lash out at first, but Revis kind of did a little, you know, da, 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 but, uh, you know, it it, it 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 did turn into that at that point. It was an interesting uh, interesting debate, and that one was all about he doesn't travel. He doesn't travel. At least we don't have to hear about that again because that won't be a part of this debate because that sauce doesn't travel either. D boy Brandon uh, with T Wool with Tree Woolen being in his second year now with more videos and game play out on him now and teams learning his style of play. Do you see him having a better equal or bad year this season? Uh, if he stays healthy, D-Boy, I think he has a better year this year. 
the the video stuff and and how to go after a guy and how to take advantage of him that's certainly a part um that can affect players i think that there are other positions d-boy that are going to be more worsely impacted a running back who has a pension for cutting back in this type of situation or you know who if it's this call and this kind of run he's always going to bounce it outside i think that's going to get a little more easily predictable right because it's a position that's more doing an actionable thing, whereas cornerback is more times reacting to what's happening in front of you. Uh, could they find that like double routes and, and catching him guessing at times can be, you could take advantage of that. That's certainly a possibility. Um, but no, I, I, I think with his level of talent, D-Boy, that he is so good and remembering too, this was a guy that was only playing cornerback two years in college. And now this next year, in his third year last season, he went out and absolutely played outstanding. That's a guy who did it last year without really leaning on technique or fundamentals. I mean, players kept saying it time and time again when they were talking about it, they'd be shaking their head. They'd be going, boy, he's just, he doesn't even know what he's doing out there and he's doing it. I don't get it. I don't understand how he's, but he's just, he's so fast and long. He can just run with anybody that he's just, but he's operating off instincts. I was like, well, now that he doesn't have to operate as much off instincts, he's going to be able to be better. He's going to be able to recognize stuff. All the more opportunities he knows when he can take, like Quandry did in that cut that I showed, D-Boy, where he's able to then jump that route because he knows he's going to be clean in doing so. DJ Jimenez, what's up, Brandon? What's up, Megan? What's up, DJ? It's good to see you in the house. Appreciate you jumping on in the house. Connors, I honestly think it's more draft status than anything. People are hooked on high draft picks having good seasons. I agree. I think draft pedigree just carries weight in the NFL in, in weird ways. And if it does it in ways which I've kind of been recently kind of exposed to being, there was a stat I showed a couple of weeks ago talking about Kenneth Walker, where where you're drafted as a running back can will dictate how high a frequency of stack boxes you face. So your first round pick, you're going to get more stack boxes than the guys the fifth or sixth round pick. Maybe that's a kind of a no-duh thing, but it even works for a second round. Like first rounders even beat out second rounders uh, in the amount that they get stack boxes in recent history. And so there are those weird stats where you go, boy, that seems almost like the NFL teams are almost into the, the narrative of the player where he's picked a bit. But this works for the guys getting paid too, where you'll see first round guys that still can go back into that next contract and go get paid. And then those guys that have been more of the developing third, fourth round guy who's really come on, it, it can be a little bit tougher. So it's odd, but that stuff does carry in a couple different directions. Mike White, he's got 11, 6, 12, and 5. Space, 12, and 5. 13, and 4, says Herbicide. If we sweep the Niners. Oh, man, sweep the Niners and 13, and 4. <laughs> Chef's kiss, Herbicide. Michael, uh, yo, what nice. We also retain Drew Locke at number two. That's a nice insurance policy. It is. You got some protection at quarterback and there's not a lot of teams that have that where you have a guy that could legit come in and have some talent who could potentially have some upside to play very close to or if not right alongside the line of where Geno's playing at uh, in his productivity. Lazy Dogs is my bets the over on wins. I like it, Lazy. Money where your mouth is on that one. What is our over? I think we're at eight. I want to go lay that bet too. I wish Washington let gambling go down so I could do some gambling. Connor says, I honestly wonder of Witherspoon will get a similar hype that most high draft picks get, though. NFL already let him off. They're already left left him off their all rookie team predictions. Well, if Witherspoon had had some cool nickname, you know, 
like like sauce maybe maybe be uh, more in the minds of folks um i mean and I, I joke but it's like look sauce got taken at four and then Derek stingley got taken at 12 you know how much about how much are you hearing about Derek stingley much last year and obviously sauce had a much better year than stingley did but it's I don't think he's going to get the hype, even if he went out there and, and balled well. I think he'd be similar in position of Tariq, where he's playing in the Pacific Northwest. He was a, a, a he was a guy that kind of was a later guy coming onto the scene there with Illinois. You know, he wasn't a five star guy coming out of high school. High school. You know, these things again go back to narratives. These things hold and lock in, and you you takes a long time to get out from under that viewpoint of things. Trent Cybots, you drafting Seahawks D in fantasy? <laughs> no, man, I wouldn't go for a defense that has an explosive offense on the other side of it that's going to keep these other opposing offenses having to score against us 24-7. Got to go find those, you got to go find those defenses that, you know, going to have their have their blows and whatnot. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be anti-Hawks D. I was running some uh, fantasy football simulators last night, draft simulators kind of killing it i'm not gonna like say i was building you know i'm gonna be in the hawks nest uh fantasy this year so i had to had to prep up you know <laughs> had to prep up just a little bit mark's guys going 14 and 3 i love your guys's optimism let's go jacob says i truly believe kyle wanted mac and not trey i'm glad i'm not the only one jacob because it does seem to me like something and i'd love to hear keldon's thoughts on this um, I'd love to hear your thought. Thought and so Kelton says I don't know why they would have traded up for Mac when they already had Jimmy Garoppolo. That's a fair point. I guess I would contend to that Kelton. By that point, Shanahan was kind of done with Jimmy, and like he's spending good money on Jimmy. Like when they brought him in, they gave him that new contract, and he was costing a pretty. He wasn't like top of the market, but he also wasn't giving him a discount for being a quarterback that was limited, and he got injured all the time. So I guess the argument would be Keldon, like I'll bring in my, I'll bring in this guy that's going to get, there's like a little bit of a marginal improvement over Jimmy Garoppolo, who then I know will stay healthier and he's going to cost less by two thirds of the price of what we're paying for Jimmy Garoppolo. So we can build a better other team around at that point. That would be just my wonder with it. But it does seem like with Trey, Kyle, in the way he's talked about him, you know, certainly hasn't just like, rode him and drug him but he just doesn't also talk about him like a quarterback you talk about as the guy that's going to be the, the the guy leading your team running this thing through it's just kind of like you know well he's, you know, he's in the mix it's kind of that's how I, that's in my mind that's how it feels when he's when Shanahan's talking about Trey Lance <laughs> Herbert sizes uh Willis should we go for him because there's of course rumors that maybe the Titans are going to out and out release Malik Willis or put him on the open trade market um, I, I got to stay firm on this one herbicide in my, my pre-draft evaluation of Willis, I believe is still where I stand on him. He was a really rough prospect coming out who was a very long way away from being ready. He's got a lot of stuff to clean up almost too much. And I don't believe he's also a very young prospect anymore. His ability to move around and scramble was really overstated and overviewed by people coming out. I, I just come back to Willis going, I, I don't think that there's 
a lot there to feel like let's invest in this for the future. And that's why the Titans are cutting him. That's why the Titans went back to go get a quarterback. So immediately after drafting Willis last year, is they're telling you in general terms here that the guy just doesn't have it. There's other quarterbacks I think I'd probably rather see about taking a flyer on than him. Yeah, Jacob, we're, we're thinking the same lines on this. Your response on the Jimmy thing was mine exactly like mine. Good thoughts on that. Ryan, think about this. A lot of people didn't have a high ceiling for the Legion of Boom in the early days. The team we have now has a much higher ceiling than the Legion of Boom did. Can Pete repeat the Legion of Boom? It would be a masterwork. It would be a finishing coup de grace on an amazing defensive career, an amazing coaching career. Because if he was to rebuild anything into a secondary place that was like that team, he would not be doing it on the back of just simply rebuilding it in the same way he had once done before. He'd be rebuilding it with different type of players, with a different type of scheme, um, with a different type of philosophy from maybe even a defensive standpoint in certain respects. Not that all of the old would go away, but that there'd be a lot that different new to, to get to this point of greatness. Um, the old Legion of Boom team, I was trying to think about the investment. You know, the old Legion of Boom team was similar like this team and the investment you put into it. You paid Cam, you paid Earl, you paid Richard. Uh, Cam and Richard were two fifth rounders. Brandon Browner was basically an undrafted rookie free agent. Byron Maxwell was a fifth rounder. You, know, you got a fifth rounder in Tariq Woolen, former fifth rounder in Quandary Diggs that you paid. Jamal Adams was a top 10 pick. Devon Witherspoon's a top 10 pick. So there's two top 10 picks in the secondary. There is that. And that's different from Legion of Boom, probably to your point, Ryan, of being at least on paper, on, to have a higher ceiling, you know, it has to come together. They don't have the, they don't have necessarily that uh, continuity and um, chemistry. We don't know if they've got that quite yet, that that team did that really separated them. But from a talent standpoint on paper, I guess, yeah. Kellen says, yeah, Jimmy gets hurt, but that's certainly not exclusive of Jimmy. I can see Mac getting injured on the Niners too. If I was Shanahan Kelden on this, I, I see where you're and Completely understand where you're coming from, but I would I, I would have looked at it like this. I don't throw the ball as it is. I run an offense that protects you as a quarterback so much by being able to not only man your your very easy throws for you, easy completions for you, but also I don't have a high volume passing attack. So I don't put you in a lot of peril very often. So the few times that you do get hit, the few times that you do get sacked, I need you tough enough to bounce back up from that. And the thing with it, Keldon, is remember with Jimmy, the man's been questioned by multiple former teammates as far as his toughness is concerned. And some of this comes back to not just merely being about Jimmy Garoppolo being an injury-prone guy, but a guy that literally former teammates of him call him a bitch because he, doesn't, because he didn't show more toughness. And so I, I think that the, the injury thing's a couple things fold there with Shanahan and maybe his view of it at that time. It doesn't guarantee Mac would have been more healthier but remember, Keldon, with that, from my point on this would be, I know you're responding more to Jacob than my on this. Um, I've got a guy less likely to be as injured, younger player, more cheaper. You know, he has money left over to maybe reinforce with a good backup behind Jimmy rather than having to go with Mullins or Purdy, who Purdy worked out. But I'm sure at that time, Shanahan was like, I don't want to just go to a seventh rounder now if I have to bail on Jimmy but I can't get a high quality quarterback in here to back up Jimmy at that point because we put so much investment into Jimmy. 
I, I could see him really have leaned to where he went to Mac, man. I really can. Grug, it, it sucks that everyone favors the Jets fans on this because PFF has the re- reputation of being the holy grail of NFL stats. Meanwhile, it's actually hot garbage and they can't read coverages. There's definitely some folks got the, that opinion of it. Um, I do have myself somewhere in the middle. I certainly don't hold them as holy grail, but I definitely ref- reference them. And I didn't, do think that they're worth um, a certain measure of weight. You're right. Holy Grail should not, they shouldn't be leaned on as the only thing to, to necessarily determine a player. And I'm probably guilty of mentioning it too. It's an easy way to shorthand a player at times. Um, but probably not always the most fairest way with not bringing in other act, other factors. Greg says pro football reference is better, even though it's not perfect. That's where we come down. I don't think any of them is perfect. I like pro football reference too, Greg. I think that's a great uh, example of one doing, doing some good stuff in this analytical realm. Uh, it's separate from PFF. This is where we come to as well, where I say, you know, utilize all this that we have at our, our hands, right? Utilize PFF, utilize pro football reference, utilize the next gen advanced stats. You know, it's hard. It's more data. It's more stuff to try to throw into the blender and spit out a smoothie that makes some sense. But I think that the more data you get, the more clear you get to the, to the truth of a situation or the answer of a situation. Uh, Brian says secondary is going to be great, but not Legion Boom great. I would, I, it's hard to reach that mark, man. And there's a lot of things that made that team. I, I agree. Five layer cheese chat. Do you think a Super Bowl window is going to open for us? Also, what do you guys think the future holds for Gino? I do think the Super Bowl window is going to open for us. Five layer cheese. I don't know if it's this year because you have such a young team and it's hard from an NFL historical perspective to get a young team, no matter how talented up into the big show. They usually need to have a little bit of that maturation process, but they got the talent. Uh, I think that Geno Smith is going to be your quarterback here and now and into the long-term future. I think that his play is sustainable. I think that he has done everything all the way down the checklist of items of things you'd want from your quarterback that you are wondering if you can support, back up, make your guy. He has given you that from a work ethic standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, from the, from the fact that he's not taking every last dollar bill he can and putting the team over a barrel, which in itself, that one thing can get quarterbacks into a position where a team can have a very productive quarterback they clip and leave just because of the high cost. And uh, Gino has shown a lot of uh, intelligence in his understanding of the situation with that. And I think that, that the fruits of that are going to bear to him a longer time here in Seattle, a second win to his career, and maybe potentially even the ultimate success with the type of team that they're able to build around him. Paul Susia, hey, hey, all go Hawks. We are unbeaten this year. We are unbeaten in 2023 so far. Forgot about that. Connor, I think a comparison between Diggs coverage numbers versus ESPN's top 10 safeties from last two seasons. Diggs was second in snaps, first in targets, first in yards, third in TDs, second INTs, third in rating. In a good way, right, Connor? Second in snaps, first in targets. I think that's, yeah, I would say that's good in the, on the good side in the way you mean that. A little unclear on that, but I think you meant that as that he was in the he was in the good side on the coverage numbers. He's great coverage. You talked to me a little bit about the tackling, and I'll listen to you and go, okay, you got a point. But uh, when it comes to the coverage and what Diggs has been asked to do, understanding it's his responsibility so often since he's come to this defense to stay in single high situations, cover one, cover three, that uh, you know he's not often in a place to always go make a play like that Raiders play I showed. But that's not on him. That's not his fault. Doesn't mean he isn't doing uh, his job and doing it well. Ryan says, yeah, I guess it's, it's pretty hard to be better than the best ever. It is pretty tough to do that. 
Michael says, this offseason definitely made me respect Pete and Schneider more. This is not something I'd say three to four years ago. Me neither. They've turned around not just the fate of this team, not just the rebuild, but also I think the mentality of a lot of us Hawks fans and their viewpoint of them and where it was going over time um, and understanding that you know, as they've done, and I've pointed out in a show, I think about a month ago, that there is a laundry list of things that built up with time. It would happen to any organization that had the same general manager and coach in the same place and had had a really lot of early success. That early success is going to breed you out to not want to change your ways at all, that to stay to your philosophy. But sometimes you've got to evolve with time. Football's ever changing, ever, ever moving. It doesn't stay stagnant and you've got to move with it. And, and they showed a lot of hesitancy to do that for many different years. And then they finally chose to do so and they did whole hog. And in doing whole hog, they've turned this thing around that much faster because of it. They've gotten themselves this closer to becoming a contender because they didn't hold on to the old. They stopped that. They, they, they tore it all away and went, okay, let's go to scratch and get back to our, our base philosophies here and, and away from all of these, these old ways of going about it. He says the Jets are overhyped. John Francis says, tell me about the addition of BT Jordan. Will he help the pass rush? We'll have to see how these guys look in, in the way that they are going about their pass rush throughout the course of the season, John. Uh, I think that it's, here's the good news with that is that though that's kind of a harder thing to gauge because you're not, you're not actually hearing as much or knowing as much about the impact that's coming into play. What I mean by that is that you've had years here for about four or five where you've had defensive linemen come through here and their development in the pass rush side of things has not improved with time. That in a lot of ways, they've kind of remained as, as very, very close to the same player they were when they walked in the door. And uh, I can give you examples of this. Rasheem Green, LJ Collier, um, Daryl Taylor's been a little bit like this for that time period. There's um, some more examples that I'm just completely uh, blanking on here on top of that. But it's something that's been a hole in the game of, uh, of the coaching staff. And I think it's good that they recognized it. This is part of the thing of, 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 of lauding Coach Carroll and lauding John Schneider is that, you know, mistakes are going to get made. No coaching staff is perfect. No general manager is perfect. No front office is perfect. But, you know, do you still continue to make the same mistakes over and over again? Or do you look to correct those mistakes when they rear their ugly head? So you go, okay, let's not talk about the blame game and who's at fault and what's at fault. Here's the problem. Our young pass rushers are not developing. They're coming in here and they're staying in, in a stagnated place. Who can we go out there and get that understands how to teach pass rush? Who can we get out to, to, to get these guys better and they're from a technician standpoint? Well, BT Jordan's the best out there. I mean, it'd be, we'd have to pay him a lot of money and you know, we'd have to really blow him out of the water. But I mean, that guy's worked with everybody in the book. I could, bring, I could give you a, a huge name, John, a huge list of names of, of really great pass rushers that have worked with this guy. And so that the team went, okay, let's throw the, I'm sure they said, let's throw the bag at him. Well, we'll say, okay, you're going to make double what you make as a private consultant working with us this year, just our team. Okay, bet. I'm on board. And he comes over and, you know, hopefully he can teach more. How will we see it? I think this is where it will be. This is the, I'll, I'll give you a couple examples, John, of a, a few places you can specifically look towards. With Daryl Taylor, do you see any counter to the inside developing? Is he just running around the, around the arc? and just trying to always be quicker than the tackle across from him? Does he have any counters he's bringing to play? Or is he just going with the one first move he has out the book? So if he wants to go to a rip move, is it 
he goes to the arc edge, whips out the rip move, and then he's done? Or is he starting to develop counters? Is he starting to chain moves together? Are you seeing Taylor at times set things up? You know, um, you know, crash inside a couple times to get to that outside edge, get them from, get them from jump setting as much out, you know, that you start to, if you you'll get better to your inside, it's going to be as much hands in that, the, the, the technique with the hands, the, the use, the, the chaining together moves, things you'd expect a pass rush specialist to help out young defenders with and things that have been holes in the game. Who's the last Seahawk defender that has come through here. That's been a technician with their hands. Uchenna is kind of that way, but he had that coming into here. You know, I can't remember the last guy who's come through here in recent years that was a rookie came through that you said, oh, wow, that guy's a master with his hands. Rip move, swim move, long arm stiff, did it. Not really a lot of guys. So I, I think that's where you'll be able to see it, John, is those young rushers, Boye Mafe, you know, is he starting to show some more understanding in this pass rush game? He was a real, little rough last year, a little raw, didn't kind of understand, you know, Bull in the China shop, you know, he's moving all over the place. He's got some strength to him, but doesn't necessarily have an exact plan in what he's doing. But you'll be able to tell. You'll be able to tell because this has been such a wide open hole for us in recent years that if it starts to even close a little bit, it should have a pretty big impact on the team generating pressure and sacks with it. Callie Tangerine says, uh, did B already discuss Luke Wilson on KJ's podcast? Sorry, I'm late. No worries, Tangerine. It's good to see you in the house, man. And uh, I talked about it a little bit a couple weeks ago. Um, it was it was a real eye-opening podcast. KJ Wright's been really good with the shows he's been doing over there, and he's asking questions, and they're talking about subjects that are not stuff that we've heard referenced and discussed this way. And uh, I think Luke had a couple of tidbits he dropped that were, were very interesting. The Super Bowl play and having a fullback dive for Marshawn Lynch in the ready um, and not calling upon it. The animosity that exists after the play and how much it reverberated for years afterwards, not just player to player, but player to coach, coach to coach. Um, his reference about how the team looked when he came back for a final time and that they were practicing in their worst manner that he had ever seen. Um, I think that speaks a little bit about that thing I was just talking about where you're, you're nine, 10 years deep in as an organization into a place and you've had certain things grow a little crusty. There's a little bit of mold on your bread. And that showed, I think, when that kind of practice that you hear him reference part of why he retired and saying, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to go out here if this team ain't, ain't going to do anything this year. So I, um, I thought these interviews are great. Luke dropped some great tidbits talking from the heart, you know, and the way he explained it. He had another story like Averill did about just support he got from Schneider on that um, when he wanted to retire. Um, so I, yeah, I, it was a great interview, man. But, you know, the Super Bowl play was, is brutal because it does come up a lot with KJ stuff and it's going to. But um, that the, you had the fullback dive with Marshawn in particular is just, ugh, it's gut punch. It's gut punch. Calvin, I was, uh, I was here during the game and I said before that play that Lance runs too much quarterback power. I believe I remember you doing that, Keldon. You know me, I'm bad a little bit with certain memory, things like that. But I'm glad you're on the same page with me. It's ridiculous he's doing it. And Keldon... There's a Shanahan, you've seen it. There's the Shanahan interview of him interviewed a couple of years ago before Lance was even drafted of talking about why you didn't want to use quarterbacks in those kind of runs because they can't see the hits coming. It's like he had learned this lesson. This is where we come back to like, I don't think he's on board with him because, you know, Shanahan's not dumb and he's not going to give this interview where he talks about how you can't, you, you can't risk your quarterback in this way. And then three years later when he gets his shiny new top five quarterback that he hasn't had since Robert Griffin, 
who by the who in that interview, that's his reference for why he has to stop running the quarterback power run because he says, yeah, when I was in Washington, you know, we got Robert Griffith in there and he could do so many things with his legs and we became too infatuated by that and we ran him too much on that and I can't do that as much in the future. I had to learn that lesson the hard way, blah, 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 blah. You know, I mean, Griffin's career is over because of that injury. He's never the same player after that injury. And yet here comes Lance and you're going to run him on those powers. Like, oof. Oof, oof, oof. I think stuff gets petty sometimes, Kelton. That's what I'm saying. I think stuff sometimes gets petty between front offices and coaching staffs. <laughs> and they will do some stuff like that that's like, that's borderline. What do you do? You're going to play it that way? You ain't gonna be happy about the quarterback. I didn't take your, I didn't take your McCorkle. And so now you're going to run my uber talented young kid right up the middle until you break him. Come on, Mike. I swear to God, if we had a, if we had a lie detector test, Kelton and I could put the GM under the light and, and Shanahan, I swear this would be confirmed to some manner and degree. Ryan, I want to see a Aaron Rodgers butt fumble. I do too. That'd be awesome. <laughs> You know, those guys get older. You know, they start like Brady did forgetting how many, are we third, fourth down? Is it fifth? Do we have a fifth down? What day is it? Five layer cheese. Are the Rams or cards going to be any good? I know Kyler's hurt. I've got them both in heavy rebuild mode right now. Five layer cheese. Rams got a little bit of, uh, Cardinals have a little bit of a chance because they're starting to get their line built right. And a good line can, you know, kind of keep a team in things, especially if it can control the clock. But both teams are pretty thoroughly in a place of rebuild. I would expect them both to be top five worst teams in the National Football League next year. And the Rams are starting like 17 rookies. And I heard lately, I've heard too, they're trying to offload Stafford. So there's rumors right now that they're trying to move. I've heard rumors of maybe moving Stafford, maybe being open to moving Donald. I don't know if that's the case, but those rumors are out there. Greg says, say Reek plays for a while at corner, maybe 10 years. Do you think that Reed can take Rod Woodson route and switch to safety and play a few more seasons that way? I think it's going to be very hard for him to do so, Grug, because he's coming as a receiver convert to the cornerback position, which is already one that's going to take you a little bit of time to become a tackler. And maybe he develops in the way Sherman did and coming in and being kind of rough and then getting to be one of the best tacklers at corner in the league. You know, maybe he makes that transition. He's got the length. He's got a big enough body style to be a, a good tackler for what he could. But the receiver mentality is kind of a receiver mentality. And it's not a bad thing. It's just, you know, there is, those guys I don't think are ever going to be, you know, like Deion Sanders had the receiver mentality. He didn't want to tackle. And I don't think Reek's in that same role. Reek's a willing tackler. But you go to safety, free safety or strong safety, it, for him, it's really that's going to be the question for me if you were to move him there. Um, it's a long way down the line. He could play it. Uh, it's possible. But, uh, you know, Sherman always said that he was eventually thought he was going to transition to safety and he ended up just retiring. So I think once you get to 10 years in the league, Rico at that point probably had three contracts he signed. He's probably made 200, 300, $400 million, whatever it is by that point. Does he want to come back for a couple of years to play safety where now he has to start banging heads and tackling at a higher frequency than he does as a corner? Probably, probably not. I'd say no. Mr. Isaac, man, I am so excited to see this young secondary develop. Our O-line running backs all young and chock full of talent. This is an exciting time to be a Seahawks fan. Boy, is it ever. And very, very beautifully put. It's a great time, man. You're on your rise. You're on your ascent. It's a sweet, sweet taste. Not like that bitter taste when you're right at the end of your run. You've had a couple of years. Gotten to a Super Bowl. 
gotten to conference championships, beaten Green Bay and Green Bay, but you just can't get over the hump. That's brutal. That's the brutal stuff. Uh, Kelly says, you need to take this parody show on the road, especially walking. I would if I could, but I don't know. It might get old for people. I see them. I know it'd be fun, though, if we did. This is first of a walking, talking about the NFL today. I don't know if Seahawks will be good, but Niners, no, just can't. Nowhere where there's that much wine. You know it's true. I'll do it at some point. I've thought about doing a little parody channel. We're just having fun, fun stuff like that. It's going crazy with it. I can't quite figure out how to wind it into the Seahawks lore as much. Herbicide says, what's more valuable for a team? Safety or corner? Corner. Safety's becoming, safety's in that place where, you know, you know how they do those things, herbicide, where they show the uh, stock lines of a value of something through years and you go through and it's like an animated stock line. And so for years, you would have seen here the safety position kind of already low and then it's starting to get even lower and lower with running backs and middle linebackers as these devalued positions. So I do think it's starting to now get a little bit of a climb because, and it's on the back of this split safety look stuff where now it's, you're not just a pure free safety. You're not just a pure strong safety. You have to do diff both of the roles now. And so that brings your value up because of the requirements of the position, but it's still a far cry from cornerbacks. Still a far cry, I think from, well, maybe not a far cry, but let's just say there's a $10 million difference if you want to put it to a not average per year. Your best safety in this league, Jamal Adams, is making $17.5 million per year. I, I don't know the exact numbers right now, but I would imagine that the best corner in this league right now is probably making $26, 27000000 million per. So it's still being viewed. NFL is telling you kind of with that, you know, what's, what's the highest, what's the more valuable position to them? Right, let me look it up here. Look up position payrolls. So, well, I guess I have to look this up. I'll have to look this up offline. It'd be interesting to check it out. But I would, I would guess that you're looking, you're looking high twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven for whoever they've got. What's Denzel? Look at Denzel Ward here. Well, maybe it's only like four or five million. Maybe we'll stay a little bit. So it's getting it's getting better. It's going up there. Double R says Cowboy fans stopping by again. The voiceover, not bad. Hope everyone in the chat stays safe and blessed. What's up, Double R? Good to see you in the house, man. Stay blessed as well. Be doing well. Vector Seven says, "Hell yeah, I get to listen to the nest while doing some chores. It's the best way to do some chores, man." And uh, as uh, Mr. Isaac says, please do hit that like button if you could for me, folks. Subscribe up too if you're not already subscribed up, but do that for me, please. Uh, Megan with a $5 donation. Thank you, Megan. Sorry again, late on the dono acknowledgement. I was just getting through the chat there. Uh, 20 players scouted thus far. None jumping out just yet. Anyone you're looking at at nose tackle. Uh, in the draft as of yet, Megan, I haven't quite got to the defensive tackles yet myself in the draft. 
I've been a little behind on doing any of my kind of film work on the upcoming year for uh, D tackles. Um, but I do have a couple guys th that I'm looking through from um, Rook Aurora, Tyleek Williams, Tyler Davis, Brandon Dorless, Micah Wingo, Dante Corleone. That can't be a real name, is it? Nazir Stackhouse, Tivandre Sweat, Callan Bullock. A couple of guys in there that I'm going to be taking a look at. Defensive line, Chris Jenkins. Michigan kid will be a guy I'll be looking at, uh, though he probably has gone by the time Seahawks pick if, if what you're hearing about him is true. So I'm just having a chance yet, Megan, but I'm going to be getting to the, I really want to start even beginning on these prospects for college just to start getting ahead of this stuff because it's brutal when you get to that draft season and you're trying to get through 300 names in 50 days. <laughs> it's a lot of tape. Megan says, uh, with another $2 donation, says 11 to 12 wins if all goes well. I'm hoping, Megan. I'm hoping. I love the I love the all the 12 wins is where I'm going to be firmly at right now. But there's definitely a fluctuation point to this season. Young roster, defensive line you're not sure about. Uh, I feel solidly you built everything up well around it. But that defensive line is such a big question mark as it stands. And uh, the team doesn't seem to believe so. But, man, it's hard not to feel like it is a little bit of a worrisome spot as we sit right now. Uh, Megan, with another $5 donation. Megan, thank you for all the donations tonight. I appreciate you so, so very much. She says, uh, ask Howard Cosell how he feels about our coach. Please be, and thank you. It's often talked about in NFL lore, coaches bang at the end of the rope. You have the eminent Tom Landry with the Dallas Cowboys, 1988. At the end of a beautiful, magical long run, quelled by the young upstarts, Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones. He was put out to pasture like so many coaches before him have been sent. Don Shula left, pushed out the door when it was determined he could no longer put a running game together, nor an equivocal defense. So many of these coaches told their time has come, told they are too old, never to return. Well, not the effervescent, ever youthful coach, Pete Carroll. He has shown not only does he have a second life with his USC dominance, not only did he have a third life with his LOB dominance, and world title waving ways. But again, he shows you now this elder coach, this man who knows no end, has now a fourth wind he is providing. One can only wonder when this sunset will truly commence. Appreciate you, Megan. Uh, D Boy says, Brandon, can you give us your first, second, third, fourth place in the NFC West? Oh, this is an easy one, D Boy. It's an easy one. You got some usually some tough questions for me. These were this one's an easy one. So we got number one. I'm gonna give it to I'm gonna give it to the Niners. I'm 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 gonna give it to the Niners. I guess they're gonna they're probably they're probably in first place. Look, they're in first place. I, I think they're just they're just at the end of that that window this year. I think it starts to close after the season, but I do think it's just there's, there's little drafts still coming through it. So I'd put them in like 13 wins. I'm gonna put us at 12 wins. I think we both dominate our division 4-0 and within our division, which helps to put up the old the overall record a little bit higher. 
uh, with the 12, 13 wins is one, two in the division, kind of like it did back in 13. Uh, I do think we're second place, 12 wins. I think uh, the Rams and the Cardinals are going to struggle to win seven games collectively. Cardinals are third place. Fourth place team is the Rams because they're playing so many rookies, D-Boy, and they, they leaned even harder than the Cardinals did into their rebuild. Like the Cardinals did kind of equal what the Rams did. To, they would have had to have like just dumped Kyler Murray for nothing. Uh, you know, they came close with a few of their moves, but they didn't go quite as hard. I think the Rams are really, really looking at Caleb Williams real hard. And if they could get that number one overall pick, all of what they've done this year has been well worth it in their sacrifice. Ryan Ball says, just as Watkin needs more cowbell, Brandon needs more likes. Got a fever. Only prescription is more likes. Listen, Ryan Ball, I see you, Ryan. And thank you. I need help. Subs, where you at? I know you're watching. Hit the button. Doesn't cost you anything. Now, please. Lord, I know you want to. I know you need to. Though what I'm telling, it's only going to help you out. You'll sleep good. Dream a little dream. You know you will. Ryan, uh, be that pitching coordinator worked with all four young pitchers now in the rotation. They said it's a terrible loss. I don't, I don't disagree on Meyer, Brian. I, I don't disagree. Um, it's, it is going to hurt. Um, it's always hard to, you know, I guess if the pitching staff just completely goes into the tank, it won't be hard to see, uh, you know, the, the feeling of the loss at that point. Um, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, but you do have talented pitchers too on the other side. That was just my point as well, is that these guys definitely could have been helped. And they are also very talented pitchers who could have a couple of pitching coaches that helped them to take those steps forward. Um, you know, it's it's not as much a worry for me, I guess I would say, Brian, because at the end of the day, the team has put so much in resources to prospects that are pitchers and they get this and this isn't an issue for the team and it hasn't been really an issue pitching-wise for a team in, in a while, really. The issue comes back to hitting right now and getting a lineup that can sustain um, enough runs to take advantage of the pitching. You also still play in a park that's really advantageous for young pitchers and helping them, in my opinion, to develop. It's not, it does the inverse for hitters, but that's the yin and yang of it is it's going to help one side and not help as much the other side. This is why, in my opinion, Brian, you've seen so many young hitters come through Safeco. I'm just called Safeco. I'm so tired of changing these names and stuff. You've seen these hitters come through, young hitters that can't, Dustin Ackley just never even, Dustin Ackley thought was like a, you know, spray the ball around kind of hitter, but just can't ever really develop into the stadium. So it's, uh, it's going to hurt, but I don't think that they're necessarily now sunk or like this. There's no, you know, that the, there's no way to mitigate the loss a little bit. Steel, who does everyone think is going to be the best rookie? The one that everyone, dang, I didn't expect that kind of like Woolen and Walker. Oh, good question. Hmm. Ooh, good, 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 good. Very good question. Not an easy answer on who I see coming in and being able to do that. God, I know all the players in this draft, and I'm just not thinking of anybody that comes. Let me look at the thing. I got my deal here. 
Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you my two names. I'm going to go defense here more than offense. Um, but I'll give you my two names. Because I don't really have an offensive guy that stands out to me that I would go to necessarily. Didn't feel as much on this offensive class as hot to trot. So I'll stay just defense. And the first guy's obvious for me on this is going to be Will Anderson. I, I think he got a little bit dinged through the post-drafts process by some in their viewpoint of him. Uh, team, you know, to the point you had certain analysts insisting he wasn't going to be like the second or third edge off the board. And he ended up being the first guy off the board. Um, so I think Will Anderson is is definitely that guy that for me is going to come out and be very impactful from day one for that Texas defense, Texans defense. Sidney Brown for the Eagles is a guy I long loved in the draft process who I think has some star qualities to him potentially as a player. I could be just missing it on this kid, but there was something about the way he played the game that I really liked and jumped out to me. So those would be my two guys um, that I would, I would go to. And I was trying to think of a dark horse I could give you offensively, man, but. That's tough. I mean, that's, that's the tough one for me. I don't, there's not a lot of guys offensively to jump. It was just a weaker draft offensively speaking. I mean, a Dalton Kincaid, who's such a pass-catching tight end, could come in and get a lot of a lot of touches early on. He could be a guy not talked about as much. But JSN's probably as good as anyone. That's a guy that, I mean, if I'm looking at any of the receivers in this draft, I could pencil in for 60 to 70 catches and 750 yards, 800 yards receiving. Really feels like JSN's probably a guy I could do that with. Greg says, do you know when we can expect that Woolen video? Uh, yes. I'm going to publish it. Uh, we've got training camp starting on the 27th. So I wanted to just get within like 20, 10 days of it. Just the one thing you're seeing with some of the videos and it's starting to kind of ramp up now a little bit is um, the reason I'm waiting on a grug is I just want to have a lot of videos in pipe uh, in the pipe. So I've got a lot of shorts I'm working on right now. I'm trying to get some other videos. Uh, the goal is to try to get as much kind of consistent content going and making sure I'm getting the consistent content going when the iron is at its hottest to strike. So when you're in uh, the depths of June, you're in early July, you don't quite have all the the eyeballs on things and so when you release a video you know you're you're at that point gonna potentially have a little bit of less of the viewing of the traffic and when you drop this stuff you want within the first 24 hours things to be kind of cooking to keep the the views on it going so uh, i'll definitely be getting that one get getting that one out published um if you want you can reach out to me on twitter too i don't mind sending you the link to that video um but it just it's i'm waiting a couple more days to get us inside that time period we're getting us a little closer to training camp and you start to get a little bit more of the, the traffic cooking with the, the folks getting uh, back into their football fix, so to speak. Brian Myers' hot take, rookie that gets good fast, Bradford. Ooh, I love that hot take. That'd be fantastic if he did, man. You get Bradford coming in here and playing league average in his first year with what you got on the rest of the line. That would be amazing. But uh, he's got the goods. He's got the length, size, strength, ability to move in space everything you want in this offense for an offensive lineman to provide, he gives it. Now it's just about getting him technically correct. 
Uh, D-Boy, Brandon, would you rather the Seahawks have a 9-8 season and make it to the wild card loss in the wild card, get first and third round picks, or make it to the Super Bowl and lose by three points in a close game? I would rather for the latter. Um, I would rather for the latter and make it to the wild card last night and get first round, first round three pick or, oh, get a for get the third pick in the first round. I think is what you're saying. D boy, nine, eight season. I get the third pick in the first round or uh, I go to the Super Bowl and win by three was by three. I think the Super Bowl would be more important. Um, a young team understanding, finding success, learning how to win. And if you're getting to the place of getting to a Super Bowl and getting within three points, you have a team that's learned how to win, has understanding what it's going to take. And you've also still then created that hunger for that young team to where you have a team that's going to be wanting to chomp at the bit to get back in there. That this isn't the beginning of what they're doing. This is the start of what they're doing. This is them setting the tone for what's to come. Whereas with the nine and eight season, even getting that top three pick, you're still not sure about this team knowing if it's got the guys that are going to understand what it takes, if that that's going to turn on in that way. You know, that becomes more of a question mark going forward, which I don't have if they go to the Super Bowl and just simply lose by three points. No. Uh, Jeffrey L. Thistle. Jeffrey Thistle. Uh, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, wake me up in September, Brandon. I'm ready. I got you, Jeffrey. I got you, man. You have to, I'll be waking you up all the way through, man. Wait till we get to training camp. I'm going to be hyped through the moon on this team. So I feel you though. I feel you. You get the people just starting to get back into football. They've been baseball, been basketball, been kind of just doing their summer vacations. So it starts to round out a little bit now. Starting to round out just a little bit right now. And Megan, I'll be definitely looking at some of the nose tackles this next week. So check in with me next week. I should have a couple, couple of these guys taking a look at. Herbert says, I like sweat for nose tackle. Both uh, the Clemson, in, both the Clemson inside linebackers look great. Ooh, I like me some Trotter, man. My first look at Trotter, he'd be a great, he'd be a great pick if we can get him next year. I, I think he's going to have an awesome, he'll have a better season this year, I think, than Trent Simpson did last year. Ryan says, I hopefully our Cameron Young kills it. That's who I want to be the guy. That'd be if, that's maybe the most important rookie if he can come out and light the world on fire because it's for the most needed position in nose tackle of any other guys you drafted, which you draft a lot of positions that can be just rotational guys. But the one guy you need to go out there and really light up is Cameron Young for where you stand from a depth standpoint and talent standpoint and all that in between upside down, inside out. Callie says the classic chicken neck squeeze. It works, man. You know, it's effective. It ain't pretty, but it gets the job done. Kelton says, uh, nah, it's not a hard question. It's always fun to see your team win in playoff games. Exactly. Exactly. Mundo. Grog, I'd be okay with Cam Ward. Cam Ward's an interesting player to watch this year. And a guy certainly in contention of being a guy that I think the Hawks would look at. And he's Diggs' cousin, like you say. That doesn't hurt either, does it? Mr. Isaac, would you rather destroy the Niners in the NFC Championship 42-0 or win on a Hail Mary with zero on the clock? 42-0, because I think I'd get, that's in, you're giving them enough room to be able to blame officials somehow. You're like, Fail Mary 2, what are you guys pushing off? You guys are pushing off, Fail Mary 2. 
We've been in 42 nothing. You can't say nothing. <laughs> you just have to shut up and take your ball and go home and lick your wounds. So I'll take I'll take the latter. Sorry, I'm all behind the chat, trying to catch up here. Let's see where I was at. Oh man, I got behind. Really behind, holy hell. Daniel Caps, how you doing, man? It's good to see you in the chat. You should be stoked for this year. It's going to be an awesome one. Besides, you and I'd rather Penix than Willis, too. Greg, people say we can't have another all-time great secondary, but why not? Not uh, We got a top five pick, a corner, a corner, and with the highest ceiling ever. An all-pro in Adams and a great safety in Diggs. Why not? Um... I mean, it's I, I, it, for me, it's more of a probability deal. I think it's hard to create a legendary secondary twice in a 10-year period. I think as well, we have to acknowledge that a lot of the secondary success that did occur was also coming because you had an, a great front seven in addition to that. And while you have some solid elements in this front seven and you got some really nice edges you like a lot, the front seven is not really in a comparative state to you know where it was prior and that you need both of those two things to work to make it great you may have more talent in that legion of boom but it doesn't have as much or anywhere close to the uh, supporting help um, on the front end and so I, I think that that's what then can make it a little bit harder to replicate it's possible but I just think it's it is an uphill battle from that element um, when we're talking about getting to legendary defense and understanding too Greg there's just there's only been so many legendary defenses only been so many what we call legendary secondaries it's they just don't come along very often it's almost like a time beyond just coaching right and drafting the right guys it's almost like the lightning in the bottle you just you just sort of you know strike gold so to speak because of everything we're just coming together at just the right time jacob says remember when everyone was saying seattle should grab malik or one of those quarterbacks a few drafts ago pepperidge farm remembers <laughs> i do remember that <laughs> i do remember that uh, Tony Wright says, good evening, Brandon. I agree with you about Malik Willis in the 2022 draft. Close to 40% of the Atlanta Falcons nation wanted to draft him as I, I was adamant about it saying no. Yeah, I was uh, absolutely in that place too. We had a lot of them in here. Um, I saw Willis in college in his last three games at Old Miss at home versus Louisiana Lafayette and Army. He threw 11 interceptions, four touchdown passes. The tape wasn't good. I, they, it's going to the tape on him, and you should, with all prospects, beyond how they look or how good a ball they throw, comes down to how do they, how's their tape. And when your tape is atrocious and you're playing for Liberty against the level of competition that you're going to play against Liberty, and whether you're dominating or not, if you don't look good, if you don't look like you can do normal, typical quarterback things I'm going to need you to do in this league, um, I'm going to ding you for that. And the the athleticism, I mean, people were trying Tony to say that he was Michael Vick from a from ability to move standpoint or Lamar Jackson. 
And he's not even in the same, he's not even two levels within where those guys are from his ability to move and be sudden and all that. So he's closer to Geno Smith almost in a lot of ways than he is. Uh, in fact, I think Geno averaged more yards on the ground per carry than Malik did last year. So I'm, I'm very out on Malik Willis. Alexander Brandon, what's your thoughts about our defensive tackles? Do you think we still need to try and make a move? I do believe we do, Alexander. I think the team is probably at a position right now where absent some disgruntled zero tech out there who wants a contract, whose team is then willing to move him because they don't want to pay him the contract. Maybe they don't have the money or they have another plan for the position. Outside of a situation like that emerging, the team is going to wait until the final cut day at the end of training camp, and hopefully they can grab one or two guys that they bring in to fill the spot. They don't seem to look at it as much of a, a priority as worry as much as we do. Um, and if they can't do that, then they'll probably make a trade, Alexander. So I think there's going to be another move made somewhere at some point down the line, be it the cuts or a trade if that doesn't work. Uh, hard to tell on that, though, who it will be because I don't know who will be cut at this point. That's going to, we'll have to let training camp kind of play out and see you know what young guys are emerging, what old guys are being deemed too expensive at that point. Kelvin says, here's my theory on Shanahan and Lance. The season prior, the Niners play versus the Bills. Josh Allen was a beast that game. I think Kyle wanted that. You know how the beats run Allen. I do. I mean, and Josh Allen's been run with a reckless amount of abandon that you're, you're intimating about. And I agree. They, they have run him that way. I, 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 I laugh a little bit though. As Shanahan looks at them running it that way, understanding the history of what he dealt with with Robert Griffith, understanding how John Elway's body was at the end after all of his scrambling around early in his career playing the game that way. Josh Allen is a wonder and certainly a, a dominant player in the way that he does what he does. But he also, in continuing to play with this reckless abandon, is, is playing with fire and eventually going to get himself injured for it and maybe injured really badly. I don't think the coaches should be aspiring towards that in this modern age. I know we want to have quarterbacks that can run and do all that other stuff, but to use them in that way, you're going to get them broke. And it's been kind of a miracle Josh hasn't. It's part, partly because he's just how he's so built. He's like Roethlisberger, where it's just the guy's just so big. He's just got nat just naturally a big dude. But I I wouldn't be aspiring to that. I think you might be right though. I I could I mean I could see I could see Allen Shanahan get himself. It just again comes down to though, Kellen. You know he talked he had learned the lesson once before. I can we can find that clip where he's talking about protecting the quarterback in that way, not using him like that. That's the place where I come back to. But you told us you had learned this lesson. Why didn't that lesson still apply with Lance? Why did you suddenly leave that lesson just because you you got caught up in the in the in the illustriousness of Josh Allen when he was out there cooking? Kirk says, people say Adams is bad in coverage. Now we know that's not true, but what are his strengths and weaknesses? Is he bad in zone, good in man? He's probably best in man coverage on running backs and tight ends. Um, his, his issues would be as a single high safety, which is going to be very rare that you're going to ask strong safeties to play that way. But there were times when the Seahawks did ask him to play in a single high safety role. Um, that's not his, him going backwards, Grug, is not Adams' strength. You don't want him backpedaling the least amount that you can. And you want him coming forward and attacking. So his strengths are coming downhill. And, and, and everything else that's the inverse of that would be the weakness of it. He does not have a good ability to track the ball or, or good hands. Um, definitely has some stone hands out there as well. So those, are, those would be the main things that are detriments. But in, an insanely instinctive defender, 
a player that is good in coverage when it comes to playing man or even in zone on those running backs or tight ends. A great rally to the ball defender, good, uh, you know, uh, obviously the best pass rushing defensive back in the game on top of that. But uh, the weaknesses are what they are, and you've got to try to mitigate them. Tony says, uh, oh, sorry, I read that, Tony. Uh, and Willis's call Legion home game versus the Army. He threw four interceptions against Army. That told me all I needed to know. Yeah, that, that should have been enough right there. Those narratives, though, they, they stick deep. Connor, yeah, Diggs was top three in all of those stats in a good way. First in yards means uh, at least in the amount of yards given up. First in interceptions and most. First in interceptions and most uh, interceptions. I think he said, yeah, receptions, I think was the one you meant to write in there. It's great stats. He's got a lot backing up with him. PFF grade wasn't bad either on top of it, Connor. You know, he should be considered a lot higher realm. Tony says, I wanted Cincinnati's Desmond Ritter and glad we drafted him instead of Willis. You see, Brandon, the problem with a lot of Falcon fans is they want the second coming of Michael Vick. As a fan, I don't. Uh, yes, the flash, Tony, you know, the flash over substance a little bit at times because um, certainly you guys didn't get the Michael Vick that he was with the Eagles where he was minus P's and Q's and this is self-admitted by Michael Vick and just the wild player running around is fun, but it's not always the thing that's going to take you to Super Bowls. Um, you know, Ritter is a guy that has a skill set. He can develop and he's got the help around him where he doesn't have to carry the day who can go out there, I think, and be successful. Um, he's got to improve and get moved along, but I'm with you. I still land on the point of he was of a quarterback class that I don't think it was particularly really strong. He was the guy that I gravitated towards most out of the lot. Um, and I'm still kind of in that camp. I know Pickett's definitely out there and people like Pickett a little bit, but I'm, I still feel like with, with Ritter, he's got from the mobility to the arm, to the processing, uh, you know, um, throwing with anticipation, there's some stuff to his game that is really nice. And especially in that offense is so run heavy. It's going to, it's not going to ask him to carry a heavy load, which is, this is when smart teams drafting a player for the right situations to put him in the position to be successful. Uh, DJ says Gino and JSN nickname 7-Eleven because it'll always be open. I saw that on a video and it's a cool nickname. 7-Eleven's pretty nice, man. I do like that one. That's a nice little nod, dude. I might, I might steal that one too, TJ. I might steal your steal on that one. Good to see you in the chat, man. Hope you've been doing well. Space is one thing I noticed is the LLB, I better tackling techniques. Indeed, that's been a little bit of an, a light thing in recent years. Uh, they also had the ability to, to train a little bit more space. More, you had two-a-days, more padded practices. You could teach the hawk tackling technique. The NFL's removed that. The players have, with the, the, the multiple CBAs that I think have been signed since those early Legion of Boom days, you have the players at each turn trying to have the number of practices dialed back, the number of practices that are padded dialed back. That's only going to make it harder for the coaches to teach things like tackling that requires guys being in pads. You know, live fire, the only way to learn it, so to speak. Alexander says, yeah, I think the D-line definitely needs to improve last year. Wow, it was pretty damn bad. Yeah, it was really bad. Really bad. There's a reason you moved off from all four guys. Yeah. Tony says your Seahawks should have won two year your should have, should have had a two year dynasty. My Falcons would have won their first Super Bowl. The Niners would have had their sixth Super Bowl, and the Bengals would have had their first Super Bowl. I would have taken that. Sucks to give the Niners another one, but if we get two out of it, I I can't be mad at that. 
Evan Reed says, does anyone see Geno throwing for 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns? I could see the 40 touchdowns being more potentially likely than the 55,000 yards because it takes a lot of throws to get to 5,000. Um, I see him getting over 4,500 yards next year, Henry. I think it'll be hard to get to five, especially with their balance on offense. Tony says, also the Patriots would have lost five straight Super Bowls. That would have been nice, Tony. That would have been, that would have been particularly nice. I would have enjoyed that. Got it. Needs more cowbell. Now. Yeah, Connor, I agree. I don't think Gino, Carol would let Gino throw enough to get to 5K. He's got the dogs on the outside to get it done, but uh, Coach is not going to want to throw that much. Uh, where's Pumpkin? I forgot to bring over my cat tree. I'll get her up here. Pumpkin, your, your presence has been requested. Your presence? Your presence has been uh, requested. Your peoples need you. Your peoples need you. Yeah. They do. Yeah. Right now. What are you doing? No, no, your cat tree. I was bringing you up for your cat tree. Yeah, there's no way you're going to crawl up on me right now. You just got to do your cat tree. There you go. All's well. There we go. And we're going to do this move. We're going to do this move. We're going to prowl. Spaces, our schedule isn't as bad as nearly one thinks. I don't think our schedule is too bad either. I think it's workable. I've definitely seen worse. Definitely seen tougher. Tony Wright, Jimmy, Mr. Spotlight Johnson. <laughs> nobody, nobody likes Jimmy like Jimmy. Henry says, why am I not impressed with the Niners? I don't know, man. They're a good team. They're a good team. I was a hungry team last year. If they didn't have Purdy go down, I think they very likely win that Eagles game and they they then provide Mahomes with a I think a pretty tough matchup because it's the defense that doesn't need to blitz you a lot or do a lot of crazy things to get after it. They can run it pretty simply just because they're so talented, which you know. Would have been a fun, would have been an interesting matchup against Mahomes, but I think that Kansas City did beat him earlier in the year. Jacob says cards regret that contract they gave Kyler. Undoubtedly. Come on, right here. Right here. Right here. Tony says the Rams will start the season 0-11, then go 3-3 three and three after that. 3-14, and 14, their fans will be the, first, be the first fan in droves to wear paper bags over their heads since 2008 uh, Detroit Lions. They have, to have, they have to have fans that care enough to do that, Tony. Those fans will be so checked out after week two that they'll be like, oh, we're not winning the Super Bowl this year. Let's go to the beach. Ruggs says giving Sean McVay Caleb Williams is like giving the Joker a SAR bomb. <laughs> yeah, I would not be happy by that. We would be in for some problems and troubles into the near future. I agree. That's, it's kind of a worst case scenario in certain ways when it comes to Caleb. Please let him go to the AFC. Hawks O says, can the, Ram, can the week one be a trap game? The Rams have always given the Hawks issues. If it was a week two game, I'd call it a trap game, Hawkso. But you know, in that week one game, all those players are so hyped up through the roof. Everyone's turned up to the nth degree. You know, it's the new season. It's, it's hard to catch a team kind of unaware at that point because everybody's on their toes. So I, I don't think so. I think we're going to get them pretty well in that first game. 
especially how young it is. Remember all those rookies they'll have starting their first game, Hoxo? Uh, Alexander Matthew, Brandon, can you do Joe Pesci without all the F-bombs? You can't. Well, number one, it's impossible to do Joe Pesci without the F-bombs. Uh, but I can't do a Joe now. I can't quite get to his, uh, his cadence. You talk to my friend? You talking to my friend? What, am I funny? Am I funny like a clown? I can't quite get, you got to get a little bit to that, that little bit of that higher pitch point I can't quite touch with Joe. Yeah. So I ask him, Am I funny like a clown? Plus, you got to be able to drop F-bombs with Joe Pesci. Every other word's got to be a Joe F-bomb. <laughs> Impossible to do the, and do the impression of not. Herbert says, I don't know. Rams still got Donald Cup and Stafford. Just that I see them winning at least eight. Maybe. I'd, and I do think Herbert uh, McVay is a very good coach. Uh, and maybe those three guys enough on their own can be enough to kind of carry the day for them with that. But I'll tell you, you know, Past that, there's not a whole lot else there in the cupboard, especially on the defensive side of the ball. It is a, it is a very, very, very thin group over there. But we'll see. It's, it's possible, maybe. McVay's a good coach, and he got a lot out of that team last year with what they were. I just says the so-called experts on TV are all over the Rams thinking they can make some noise. I don't get it. L.A. thing, I guess. Big market team. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it either. They've, they've, it, this isn't even like me just hating on the Rams. It's this, the Rams have out and out showed you in every fashion that they were in, not just a minor rebuild mode, not in a reload mode, but in a take it all down to the, to the foundation. And then we're going to rebuild all the walls and the roof and everything inside from, from scratch. No Leonard Floyd, no more Odell Beckham's, no, you know, no more uh, Allen Robinson that they got out from under that contract. Everybody must go. Even the secondary guys, Greg Gaines and Ashawn Robinson's gone. You know, they've, they've, they've torn it all away, whatever there was there prior. But I don't know. I've, yeah, I'm not surprised national media is on there hanging on the jock on that one. Alexander says, hopefully now with wide receiver JSN, DK doesn't get mugged on every play, shaking my head. Hopefully. I'd love to see some more single coverage for uh, DK. That'd be a beautiful thing. Brittany Stipes, how you doing? It's good to see you in the chat. Appreciate you watching. And Herbicide, I agree. I think the Ravens are going to be good too. They are changing offenses. Let's also acknowledge that with the Ravens as they're moving away from the Mark Roman... We're going to run the Kellen Kaepernick offense for Lamar Jackson kind of thing. So he's now going to, they're going to more of the pro style stuff. Is, is Lamar going to take to that? Is he going to have the ability to throw from that kind of offense? The ability to go through the, the progression reads that's required. Is he going to be smart pre-snap on picking things up in the way he needs to be off on with that? It'll be interesting to see. They also have also put together a pretty good team around them though on top of it. Maze Guru with Hawks Nest. Does it drive you nuts listening to the Seahawks press conferences? I'm talking about how they refuse to give a microphone to the reporters listening to one side of the conversation. Yeah, especially because it's been a couple year problem. And you would think that at some point somebody would be like, you know, why don't we just get a mic over here for this? So I, I yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not a big fan of it. I, I will say too, um, 
there's some stuff that comes out in these press conferences good from the reporters. I, there is some, some guys do better than others with it. I, I, I wish, you know, I, I do wish some of these reporters would go a little more in depth with certain things. I feel like reporters sometimes ease on this thing of being like, well, I don't know the game, so I'm just going to stay on these real easy surface level questions because I don't want to go into any kind of deep question stuff. And then you don't ever get to really the de depths of anything. And it's really a, it's really just a part of them not doing really the Blake work they should to understand stuff so they can ask the kind of questions that the audience would be interested in hearing them reply to. Um, like when KJ Wright is going through and asking these kind of questions on his show with these players and none of these other reporters have ever asked these players these questions. Why? I don't want to rattle cages. Don't want to, you know. So, but I would, yeah, the mic thing needs to get fixed. The mic thing's a little bit dumb. Not just a little bit dumb, but a, a lot dumb. Jeffrey M. F and M's dude, bunch of clowns. Oh, they got it together. It was cool to see maybe Shohei Otani things kind of getting a little bit maybe steam now. That would definitely help matters if we can get that guy picked up. Just gotta get on the, we got to get on the horn with the Angels. Be like, look, he's going to be ours after the year anyway. Do you want to get something for him now right now or nothing? We'll, get, we'll, we'll take something. For, okay. Let's go. Herbert says, I don't see us drafting another first round outside linebacker in the draft. No, Herbert said, you're right. Uh, you're not taking anybody high. But Trotter would be like an inside middle linebacker. I, I, he'd be. But yeah, I know there's no way they go back to edge again. Um, well, probably not, Herbicide. Uchen is a free agent. Taylor will be one year from free agency, but you still have Hall and Bafe. Um, but it's not likely. Especially to Herbicide because there's so much of a strength. It looks like a defensive tackle and linebacker in next year's draft, which then it makes it easy, that much of an easier decision for the Hawks because it's for a position of need. And it's for a position that's better than the other players available at a different position like edge. Alexander says we need to move off of Eskridge and Brooks next year. I think it's very likely to happen at that point, Alexander. Eskridge goes through his third season this year as a second round pick, which means that he has a fourth year restricted tag that the Seahawks may or may not put on him. And if he goes out again and is injured this year, they're not going to put it on him again. They've already denied the fifth-year option on Brooks as a former first-round pick. So he is a street-free agent after the season already. They don't have to do anything to, for that to happen. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think very much there's a good chance that's going to be the case. I don't know if even Eskridge, uh, kind of like Herbicide says, I don't even know if he makes it through this year, through this training camp. It's going to have to stay healthy. Brian says, same mantra as last draft. No quarterback before round four. No, before four, Brian? You wouldn't go two or three? I won't go first round next year, but second or third round, man, there might be some pretty juicy options in there. Sajin, should we have kept Goodwin? No. No. Uh, Goodwin was really good for us last year. Um, and he filled the slot role when we had literally nobody else who could could be functional within it. He also did probably some of his best damage, though, of course, in the Chargers game. And 
why did that be one of the games he did some of his best damage? Because DK Metcalf went out with an injury early in that game. So he was able to slide to the outside and make some big plays. So while he was, he was functional and workable in that slot, he wasn't a game changer out there and he wasn't something that you couldn't replace. And with Goodwin, the other part is Alexander's post a little bit below there is um, the injury situation. Last year was not a one-off with Marquise Goodwin. He's been injured throughout his career. And as we've seen with guys like Good, like Eskridge, it seems like especially these receivers. I'm not saying it's a toughness thing. I'm just saying it's always receivers. Yeah. Um, but there's just these guys that are injured every year. You might get them for four games. You might get them for five games. You might get them for 10 games. But they're going to break down on you at some point. And that's a good one. And I don't really like signing guys that I know are going to be like that. Not that I'm like, there's a chance of this, but I know they're going to be like that. And when it reaches this year, in when it reaches this point in Goodwin's career, that's the spot we're at where we can make that determination, I think, at this point. So he was fine, but JSN will be way better. And you can do even better than Goodwin, really, if you wanted to go out there and try to attack it as a trade deadline deal if you had a couple of injuries, let's say, to JSN or Eskridge. Brian Meyer says, Eskridge is not gone yet. Sports Radio 710 thinks he's the breakout in 2023. Uh, indeed. Um, and look, uh, 710's basing this off what they're hearing from the coaching staff and, and, and players from minicamp uh, about how explosive Eskridge looks. Geno Smith was referencing that he was going to be training with him privately uh, after minicamp. He seems to be looking like he's in his best shape, which provides a lot of people some optimism at that point. And the guy is talented in the respect of he is very explosive, very athletic, very hard to bring down in the open field. There are some elements he brings to the table that I wouldn't say go on and say they're fully special, but there's a reason some people were going hard with the comparison when he was drafted with Tyree Kill um, and some of that explosiveness and just get up and go from, from zero to 50, you know, like a Ferrari. Uh, that stuff does still exist with him. But the injury thing is the part we got to keep coming back to. The man was injured in college, injured in college multiple times. He's been injured here, injured multiple times with multiple different injuries. Can't stay healthy. That's the part that he's got beyond really what he does on the field as a player. He's got to prove that that part as much as anything else. And that's a big what if. Grug, I think we can easily build a great front seven for our secondary. I mean, a lot of uh, pieces are already in place. I don't know. I feel like we can really do it again. Maybe not great as LOB, but close. I'm I'm with it, man, Grug. I, I love your optimism of hope to have it. Um, you know, and I am only really as much as anything just speaking from being that guy watching for decades on end that just knows when you had it how you know unusual that was to have it. I will say this though, to your point, Greg. Um, there's a lot of people, especially a lot of the old heads out there that were uh, Seahawks fans of the '80s and saw all those games early mid '80s, uh, who would sit out, who would who would swear up and down that the the secondaries with the Dave Browns and the Kenny Easleys, um, they had one year in particular, just a ridiculous amount of turnovers and pick sixes, that those those were not that far off from the Legion of Boom team secondaries. You know, they, they'll swear it up and down. So, I mean, maybe to your point, this is just something that uh, is kind of a lineage thing here in Seattle. And we'll, we'll have our third generation of it coming down the track now uh, with this one. We just need a guy to do those backflips when we kneel for the game. We do, we do Jacob. Pretty cool move when Goodwin would do that. Nothing seals a victory like a backflip. Freedom Joe, defensive line, help please. We need some Freedom Joe. We need some help there. We need some help. It comes from three. It comes from 
three different potential places, and I do think one of these is going to be utilized by John Schneider. Either A, you have a team near the end of training camp who has a young zero tech emerging as a rookie on a very cheap deal. They have an older vet who's maybe heading into the final year of his contract. They feel like they're going to play the young guy more. They want to get out from under the money of that deal. They call up John Schneider and they say, hey, Johnny boy, I, need, I know you need a zero tech. Let's make a deal for a fourth round pick, for a fifth round pick. And then you bring the guy on that, that way. The second method would be by the final cut down day. The cut down day in the NFL this year is going to all occur on one single day. It used to happen over three different periods. Now it happens on one period. So every guy hits the streets on the same day. You hope you can find a guy from the ranks of all those cut players you're able to bring on and uh, who can provide you some snaps. The third method would be a trade deadline deal. Find a team that's out of the race, has a good zero tech, uh, and you go grab them then at that point, week four, week five, week six. I think uh, w- those are going to be one of the three methods they use, but I don't know which one it is. The team doesn't seem really as pressed by this as we are, Joe, um, in the fan base. They seem pretty calm about the whole situation. D-Boy, Brandon, pick one. Peyton, Manning, Eli, or Archie Manning, and which one's better? I'm going to go with uh, Peyton Manning as will be considered the all-time best Manning of all the Mannings. Um, the the hunger in Peyton, I mean, you got with Eli and painting. I think Eli had even more natural talent than Peyton. I think he could move better. I think he had a bigger arm. But Peyton shows you what that Kobe Bryant, you know, obsessed work ethic can get you even if you don't have that same kind of necessarily talent at that spot of things. Um, not the talent, you know, Peyton had a decent arm coming out. It wasn't as bad. Um, Archie, I'm still, we're going to have to see with him. And I know he's got a lot of hype and, and he's got maybe the best pure tools of any of them. But uh, Peyton had one of the best all-time runs as a quarterback in NFL history. To replicate that even within the same family is tough. No matter how talented you are as Archie. You know, does Archie want it as bad as Peyton? Yeah. We'll see. Kelton says, I agree. I hope Kyle learned that lesson again. I, I'll say this. Let's push this forward, Kelton. Give Trey a chance. And you know with me, Kelton, I've been a big Trey Lance backer. So a lot of this, ang- a little bit of disappointment. It's like weird, weird thing where you're rooting for a player. I'm not a fan of the Niners, but I am a fan of Trey Lance's game coming out. And I like him as a player. And so, you know, okay, it happened last year, right, Kelton? No more power runs. No more power runs. If you want to run the read option to the quarterback, to the sidelines, do so. Give him the sideline as a protection. Give him the ability to see the hit coming. Don't run the read option up the A-gap. That's all I'm at. I, I'm, I'm a simple man, and this is my request of that Shanahan as a coach on this. That's all you got to do. You can still use the guy's legs. You can still design quarterback runs for him. But put him in a possession, put him in a position to control the collisions as much as he can. Because there's already enough collisions where guys like Brock, like Brock Purdy got hit, or as a quarterback, you're taking hits you can't see coming. You don't want to add to those number of hits because then you add to the probability that the guy becomes injured. And what's the squeeze worth, right? Like the, the power run for a quarterback, what's that going to get you? Six yards at its best, right? This ain't, this ain't a play that's like going to the house every once in a while. Nobody's taking it to the house. Brian says, argument to sign Jalen Smith is strong. Not sure on the cost. Um, I mean... I think Jalen Smith never recovered from his leg injury. 
quite frankly. And he had the one year with the Cowboys where he was kind of able to do whatever, but the guy had a 56 grade last year with the Giants. The year before that, he had a 66 grade. The year before that, he had a 54 grade. The year before that, he had a 70 grade. That was the one year, I think, where he got his his contract, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm not against it. It's going to be a league minimum deal if you bring him in. I guess 2018 was the season he actually played really well. But boy, he was not able to sustain it. Um, we don't have a lot there at the position. So if you can go get him for vet minimum at this point, why not? You know, I don't I don't know if Jordan Brooks is gonna be ready. I don't know how good um I don't know how good Devin Bush is gonna be. So it's not the worst thing, Brian. But we can't spend money on him. I mean he's I don't know if there's a lot there left in the tank there. He kind of just had that one year with the, the Cowboys like four years ago. Sajin says, did we not address the trenches already? Uh, well, remember, Sajin, you dumped four guys off this defensive line. You signed two and you drafted Cameron Young. So you have Draymond Jones, Jaron Reed, Cameron Young, Miles Adams, kind of making up the interior. You have basically one zero tech right now. Ryan Monet may or may not be ready around the start of the season. And even if he is ready, you kind of know what he is. So it's a little bit, a little still opened up. Greg says, Adams is really underrated tight end killer. I remember him knocking that touchdown out of Kittle's hands. Not only that, Greg, that was really, I think, as much as any game that Adams has played here, one that showed off his full skill set, especially in coverage, because he really, really was on Kittle throughout the whole course of that game. You know, he was tight in coverage, and he was good good on him. Um, so they tried a little, I think, a half-back pass to back to the quarterback, and they tried to get Adams being over-aggressive, but he was able to come back and make a play later in that game too. You're talking about the, the play down by the end zone where he knocked it away, but he had another play where he was right on it as well. So he was fantastic in that game and coverage all the way around. And it's, it's one of the, another narrative out there that gets talked about that Adams can't cover. He can cover. You just don't need to be putting him in cover one, cover two situations. Don't put him out in space, get him up around the box. And this is normally what you would ask strong safeties to do anyway. So it's not the, it's not a crazy difference of requirement from the position. Herbicide says, I'm kind of hoping Tavai turns into a freak of nature. Well, that uh, is going to be the next show we do on Sunday, in fact. I was going to do this as an upload, but it's going to just take me too much time, and I just want to just show you guys the clips and roll it, so to speak. So uh, when we get to Sunday, we're going to do a UDFA show, and it's going to be featuring, I think, four or five is what I'm going to do. So it's going to be uh, Matt Landers, uh, Jake Bobo, Jonah Tavai, Noah Griffendorf, and maybe one other guy. I looked at the McConnell guy of Montana. There's not a lot there on tape with him that jumps out to me. Arquan Bush, eh. No. Those would be the main guys I think that can have some impact as undrafted rookie free agents. And you're right here beside those Pacific Islanders are no joke. No joke. Uh, Samuel, more of us fans need to need the de need to deans that we got to go after Quinn Williams package deal with Fant included. Seahawks need this. I'm with it, Samuel. If you can go out there and make that kind of move, then let's go make it. Um, there's a couple problems with trying to do the Fant, as I think that the Jets just signed C.J. Azamoa a couple years ago, just a year and a half ago, and he's your their move tight end already in place. So I don't know if there would be much there for them wanting Fant. But you always move Fant in a separate package and then take the extra pick that you get back from Fant and, and combo it together. 
Uh, what makes this deal for this deal to happen, Samuel, to occur? What's going to have to occur is Quentin, Quentin in his negotiations with the Jets is going to have to have those negotiations break down. And if that occurs, then they may be open to trading him um, at that point in time. But that he's they have indicated they want to try to get a deal done with him. It's going to be about what the cost is, of course, though, because the the contract the guy with New York just signed and then the contract LeBron Payne signed this offseason has pushed the defensive tackle market up to a pretty high point, probably much higher than the Jets thought it was going to be maybe a year ago. And so that's probably giving them some issues. I also think the Jets have done some weird thing too where they like lowered down Rodgers' cap hit to a bare minimum this year, but it means that they're going to have to spend like $100 million on cap hit on Rodgers after this year for a single season with the way that they've designed this, I think. So that could be kind of cause a little bit of a monkey wrench in the Jets negotiations with Williams too, but he's fantastic. I just don't know if the Jets will let him go, Samuel. It's not quite the same situation of Adams where Jets weren't a good team. What's the sense in paying a safety at this point? Let's just get picks and pull this reload all together. They're more in a, a moment now where they're trying to compete. Leland uh, Kimball, thank you for the $10 donation. Sorry, a little late on acknowledging. Uh, appreciate it though. Appreciate the dono. He says, sorry for the prolonged absence. Hey man, I understand how it goes. No worries if people got to take a break. I get it. You know, we got life, things going on. I just appreciate you always coming back. Just as long as you always come back home, I'm happy. He says, uh, I happen to be back in the States, sort of Alaska laughing out loud. It's, it's kind of. Uh, I'm excited for this upcoming season with the continued draft free agent signings. Looking forward to your coverage of it all. We're going to go as deep as we ever can gone last year. We're going to keep adding two on this Leland. I'm going to keep diving into the depths with this. So um, I'm really excited for this year too. There's been years in doing this channel where I've seen the year turn around and I'm going, okay, I think it'll be good years or this is going to be a rough year or uh, boy, this is, I'm going to have to turn over some tough, tough realities this season. It is very much, uh, it is very, very, very much fun. Uh, from a from a, a person covering this team to be able to cover a team that's doing things intelligently uh, to be able to cover a team that is trying to you know think forward thinking and and um, try to be a little bit more on their cutting edge of their thought process as far as being where they were on the other opposite end of the scale at times and when I was first kind of starting this channel up in their approach and methodology so you have a right to be excited you should be excited for this team Leland they are on the rise they could tap into that this year and become contenders this year, but whether it happens this year or into the short near-term future, they're on the right track, and I have a lot of faith that they're going to get there because they have operated so smartly over this last couple of year period. Kelton says, we have the male version of Pumpkin. His name is Milo. He has three legs. Oh, nice, man. You got yourself a tabby? They're a live wire, aren't they, Kelton? The tabbies, if you folks are ever getting a cat and you're looking at the orange one, just know you're doing some math. The fact that this 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 sucker's gonna be always turned on. The batteries never run out on this one. Energizer bunny type of stuff. Jacob, remember we only get that uh, gauntlet of teams near the end of the season. At that point, some might have injuries that make it easier for us. Agree. Schedule stacked up well. It's balanced out well. You're not you don't have too much of a murderer's row point. It's that two Niners game and the Eagles game in there. That's the one where you really look at it and you go. Oof. I think you got uh, three games in like 18 days or something like that. It's going to be the tough point. No doubt about that. No, there's no way of slicing different. But the rest of the schedule is not too, sh not too bad. And if you only got one little small part of the schedule that you're really looking at going, that's the one that gives me 
you got a pretty nice schedule if that's how you, you know, if that's how you end up seeing it. Thank you, Leland, for that $10 don't know though, man. Appreciate you. And I promise I'll be going as hard as ever this year. Some big plans here for the channel. I got to get my training camp stuff figured out here. Connor says the Seahawks actually have the 10th easiest schedule based on Vegas projected win totals for all teams. I like that. I know some of you out there talked about this last show. Some of you guys out there like that iron on iron thing. You know, iron sharpens iron. No, no. We'll be the iron. Give every, make everybody else a satin pillow. I'm perfectly happy going out and doing that all year. <laughs> Keep my team nice and fresh and a lot of nice, easy victories. I'll be perfectly happy with that. Samuel, uh, Quentin Williams is worth a first and a third. Oh, you better believe it, Samuel. Yeah. Yeah, he's absolutely worth that. I think it's a, that's the bare minimum of the cost. Very likely that it costs you, I mean, if, if Adams is two first-round picks and a third, quite honestly, it's probably two first-round picks and a third for Wynnett Williams, or at least two first-round picks to make it happen. Connor says Williams would be a great signing, but he would cost a fortune. Last I saw, he wanted a contract around $30 million. Indeed, you'd have to find a way to clear up some money to make it happen. You know, and you lower down that first year cap hit tremendously to have to squeeze them in. But you could do it. It's not, there'll be people out there who say, there's no way we could do it. You could do it. You could do it. But it would be hard. Quinn is the name and no, he's not. Maybe a second year, one year, and third, the next. You say, no, he's, he's going to be worth a lot, I think, if you try to trade for him. He's one of the top probably five, six defensive tackles in the sport, and he's really young. Samuel says he wants 23 per year. Probably 23 is about what it costs, 23, 24. He ain't getting 30. Sajin says, uh, you can't do uh, Pesci without the pleasantries. Loved him in Lethal Weapon. You can. They F you. They F you in the drive-thru, okay? Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. They drop you in the drive-thru. They F you. Yeah, you can't. You got to have the F-bombs. You got to have it. It's, it's part of his vernacular. It's just doesn't matter the, the character, real life, acting. He's dropping it either way. Is there a difference between the actor Joe and the real Joe? You tell me. D-Boy says, why would you want to do, why would you want to hear Joe without the F-bombs? Exactly. This doesn't fit, man. This, this, this does not fit. Doesn't add up. Grug says, according to pretty much every site, Sauce allowed a lower yard per target and yard per completion rate than Woolen. Why do you think that is? Is it because of scheme? I could give you like my toxic answer on this, Greg, which is it's easy to allow a lower yard per target when you're able to grab and pull like, you know, you're trying to take uh, wallpaper off every play. And and that's at times what it looks like to me with Sauce on a lot of his, you know, targets. I don't see Woolen grabbing in the same way, so he doesn't lean on that as much. Um, I think as well, with both of them, they're both pretty well rated in that stat, Grug. So we're separating between two guys who do a good job overall as it goes to that. Um, is it based on scheme? No. Robert Salah is going to run a lot more similarities to our scheme than he's going to run differences. 
And really, Robert Sala's differences in his scheme are going to be the wide nine look up front more than it's going to be what he's doing on the back end in his secondary. Guys play off coverage. Um, they're going to stick their role on that. That's pretty much the dude you're going to have with Sauce, him pressing a lot. So this where we come back to, too, is it's you have him pressing and he's a way to get he's allowed to get away with some holding over there on that it it's gonna you know he's already in a press look and then you let him get the way at the holding it starts to get very hard to get away from that guy pretty easy pretty understandably understandably why um so i mean it, it makes some sense a little bit i guess but um i don't know it's it, the the allowed a lower yard per target is certainly a stat of value but i don't know that it's you know, they're both pretty good in those respects. And there's some stats from both sides that you can, you can bring to make an argument for one being better than the other. Some of it really comes down to Grug. What's the value you put on an interceptions and taking away the ball? That's that, that really is where a lot of it goes down to for me at the end of the day. And you have one guy that's vastly better than the other guy in that respect. I don't think there's any place that sauce is vastly better than Tariq Woolen on the other down the other chart of things. Kelton says, Greg Roman, you always call him Mark Roman. I know I do. That's one of those things, Kelton, where I get older and I've had multiple names that are close together that at some point a Mark Roman has come into my mind. Stuff starts to run together, brother. It's scary, I'll tell you. It is scary. So I just got to stick with last names and I'm all good. <laughs> Jacob says, Lamar throws for 6K. No way. No way. I would eat a hat if Lamar threw for 6K. D-Boy, Brandon, do you see Aaron Donald being loyal to the Rams and staying for the rest of his career or leaving the Rams? I, I think he retires after this year, D-Boy. He signed that new contract, and I think if he probably retired so early after the new contract, the Rams might have been like, yeah, you're going to need to pay a little bit of this back, guy. That's a lot of money that we got buried later on here on this deal we have to eat. But I think once he gets through the, the last year of this deal, I think he started. he probably retires after this season. Uh, he's been flirting with the back-to-back -back, uh, off-seasons a little bit. Alexander Brandon, I hope Gino doesn't get hurt, but say if he do, do you think Drew Locke could cut down on the interceptions, maybe coming from being older, more mature, or is he just an interception machine? I don't think that uh, Drew Locke is an interception machine. I, I think what you have is a narrative that is following him from Detroit, from Denver that Seahawks fans see some proof of in the preseason last year and so now it's jumped upon as a thing that this see this is what he really is. I mean, I, I know I'm on this kind of track with this a little bit, but man, these these more and more I'm seeing some of these like narrative things that pop up that are just so untrue and so off the mark and 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 so bereft of being based off of anything, you know. And there's so many echoes with Drew Locke to what you get with Geno Smith. So go through it, right? What do I always say about Geno Smith? You know, you're drafted in the second round. You probably should sit a year. You're not allowed to sit. You're you're put right into the starting lineup. Sound familiar with Drew? You know, you're you're put in the starting lineup and you have a defensive-minded head coach. Doesn't Drew sound familiar with Gino with that? Gino with the Jets, Drew with Vic Fangio. You know, so you got a a defensive head coach that looks at those young quarterbacks and it's kind of like sometimes the worst environment depending on the kind of defensive head coach you have for the maturation process of those young quarterbacks because they look at him as a necessary evil. And so then you look at it beyond that. Skill position players, okay, you got Judy and you got Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick, but you know your offensive line's not good in pass protection. It's bad, and that's a so you have some same thing with Geno Smith, where the line's not that good. He had even less playmakers than Drew did, but they have a lot more similarities between them in their first stop than than before. And then let's go to last year. 
Drew Locke has two opportunities, two games in the preseason. First game of the preseason, he comes in, he's balling out. He's making throw after throw. He's making smart reads, smart decisions. And he misses a blitz at the end of the game that comes off the blind side that he doesn't pick up. And it's a sack fumble. Not a good look, but it's, it's, got, it's freakish play there. Then he gets the vid, right? Gets sick as hell. Tries to come back because he's in a quarterback competition with Geno. So he probably tries to come back a little bit too fast. And then when he comes back, Geno's kind of gotten the lead by default because he's had to rest. Geno's getting all those reps, you know. And then Drew comes into the Cowboy game and he's pressing. He knows he has to make all these upper-level throws to sort of now overtake this, this ground that he's lost. And then he ends up throwing a couple of interceptions by pressing. You put him in a position of not feeling like he has to press, of just playing the game, of just playing within himself. And having a coach like Carroll that is a very much a coach that will help you lean into that as a player. I mean, that's the way Coach Carroll rolls. That's what he wants to do. He's not like Fangio would have been or another defensive coordinator, that, you know, where they're going to get intense and, you know, at times probably freak out some of those young quarterbacks. Certainly don't set up the right conditions to allow them to develop and flourish early on. Let's put it that way to try to keep it kind. So I, I am a big backer of Drew Locke. I maintain that just because in his first stop with Denver, he didn't do great doesn't mean that he's not a quarterback with some talent who could reclaim that. And certainly watching how Denver has played as a team, played offensively, how Russ set with it, I think it makes Drew look even better in that, you know, he got more out of that offense. He was able to, to, to be more productive than Russ was with it. Um, I think that's saying something. So I, I'm on board with Locke if he has to come in. I like both quarterbacks. Mega says, do you think the uh, reporters don't ask the hard questions in the pressers so they will be invited back, B? I do think that that's a big impact, big part of it, yeah. I think uh, um, access, all that stuff, you know, we just, and, and for whatever reason here, it's become a rule where it's just, you know, if you were to have a guy in that, in that press corps now that speaks up and, and asks some tough questions and presses thing a little bit, he probably doesn't last very long because there's kind of this whole, you know, regimented, environment of keep it keep it milk toast you know don't don't press too hard and so i that's where i think it's it's tough because there is some franchise there is some media markets in some places out there that do have guys that will you know get into it and i'm not asking the reporters need to be belligerent or you know go, be um contentious like you've seen some reporters do in these kind of situations especially in the modern age um but just ask tough questions at times. Ask questions where, look, we need some clarity on this. This doesn't make sense. Walk me through where your process is on it. Um, I think you can find and strike a place where you ask those questions, f form the question in a way that it doesn't come out disrespectful or that it's going to raise the ire of the coach while still getting to the, to the meat and potatoes of it. It's just, a, it's the way you phrase it, but that's part of being a reporter is the way to phrase a question, get it out of the right way to dig into the depths without necessarily setting off the, the counterpart you're asking the question out of. So it makes you a professional to find the way to do that. But yes, Megan, 100%. 100. Leland Kimball, thank you for this $2 donation. He says, to the depths. To the depths, Leland. To the depths. Appreciate you, brother. And it's good to have you back, man. Missed you in the chat. Uh, news and analysis with Arturo. Charbonnet will be a beast at tailback. You better believe he will. You will leave. You can you could draft Charbonnet this year as a as a uh, fantasy back, and I think you're in good shape. Number one, because you know the running back position for Seahawks gets banged up more often than not. Number two, you know he's going to be used as a short yards back. So there's going to be a lot of just simply, if anything, just touchdown situations for Charbonnet, um, even if he's not getting you the yards. Kelvin, you can get a pretty good quarterback with the last pick in the draft. It's all strategy. 
It's great. Nothing like going after Mr. Irrelevant to be the quarterback of your future. Sajin, Brandon, will you be doing the stream till 2 a.m. since we blew it up tonight? <laughs> right, we'll be going that long, man. We'll go a little bit. I got I got some stuff I got to do tonight. I'm actually starting to try to look at uh, maybe getting back over to the west side. So anybody got, uh, anybody looking for a roommate? Uh, Keldon, you can get a pretty good quarterback with the last pick. Oh, sorry, I read that one. I just said I should start the Zorn Craig talk to make up your vacation for a vacation. So don't you the messenger. No. No. Amaze Guru. The Hawks Nest. Yeah, I'm old and can tell you firsthand Kenny Easley was the best Seahawk of all time. If you don't believe me, watch how he had started catching punts with the cast on one hand. Uh, we're, of, we're of like mine on this, Maze. Uh, just because he, we didn't have a good punt returner at the time. Uh, I consider Kenny Easley to be the best safety in Seahawks history. Uh, I know Cam, there's some with the Cam and some with the Earl. Um, for my money, Kenny Easley is the best. Um, and and a guy that probably could have played in any era. Uh, he just played, we were so young as a team at that time. He's, he just, he's get forgotten about. It's been so long since he played. But Kenny was a beast. Greg says the cover three in the wild card game was so frustrating. I think it was just Pete being scared to take risks and, and take the conservative route. Probably stems from Super Bowl 49. I hope that changes this year. Yeah, Greg, I, I was very frustrated by the cover three looks with the defense in the playoff game as well. Um, and that's certainly, I bet you probably ran that 70, 80% of the day. Um, you know, I, I, I referenced it throughout that week and I still look at that playoff game in the same way as I stand now. You had house money. Nobody expected you to be there. Nobody thought you'd get in the playoffs. Everybody thought you were rebuilding. You're going into San Francisco. They've beaten you twice. They've beaten you pretty handily twice. I thought that there was a really great argument to be made that you let it, you let it all hang out. You know, you play aggressively, you show them something different that they haven't seen from you as a team throughout the course of the year, not only in the games that you played against them, but in the games you'd played in other games as well. And I thought you could have caught the Niners off guard. And I'm not saying it would have guaranteed a win or that there wasn't any way that we don't play that team 10 times in that stadium with where we were from a health standpoint and lose all 10 times. But I liked that idea better than just sort of sitting back in soft coverage and letting them slowly bleed you through a whole game, which is what we did instead. So that that was definitely the frustrating part for me too. I share your share your frustrations there. Grug says, where do you rank Richard Sherman among all-time corners? And who do you think is the GOAT of that position? Um Let me get my names up here so I can reference my kind of names and the orders the way I would want to do it. Um, I don't I don't know if I would have Richard Sherman as high as a lot of other Seahawks fans as a corner all time. I think um, Deion Sanders is probably going to be my guy that I would put up there as far as above anybody else. Um, I think Rod Woodson is a guy that's got to be considered in that, in that territory of things. I mean, even a guy like Dave Brown, I mean, you know, you can look at Richard Sherman and he's got 30, 30 picks or whatever. It's like Dave Brown's got 62 interceptions in his career. <sighs> like, you know, he's almost got double the interceptions of Earl Thomas. Uh, it gets, Earl was definitely one of the better corners of his era. I do think that, but Daryl Green Aeneas Williams, Eric Allen, Ty Law, Champ Bailey. 
I mean, Asante Samuel, I'm, I'm not Asante because of the tackling, but um, I mean, those are all guys to me that, that probably have a bit of a stronger argument to be made of being higher than him. And, and, we, and we could even be expanding it beyond that if we really wanted to go to something, you know, deeper. You want to go to like the old school, like Dick Nitran Lane with his 68 interceptions. Um, I mean, that guy's got a, certainly an argument to be made. Dick, Dick LeBeau, Dick LeBeau um, 62 interceptions. Um, I know that's a different era, but I don't know. Everson Walls, I think guy won a couple of, uh, at least one championship, I think with the Giants. 57 interceptions. You know, he talks about him. I, I like sure, love Sherman's career and Seahawks fans hold him in very high esteem, but it gets, there, there's been some really great corners who produced for a very long period of time in this league. Uh, Sherman had a great run for a good period of time, but I, I'd say he's probably in my estimation more top 15 than he's maybe even top 10. I'd, I would go Sanders, Woodson, Dick Nitrain Lane would be ahead of him. Charles Woodson would be ahead of him for me. Um, Mel Blunt would be ahead of Richard for me. Aeneas Williams would be ahead. Daryl Green would be ahead. Eric Allen would be ahead. Ty Law would be ahead. Champ Bailey would be ahead. I mean, that's basically 10 right there. So I love Richard, but there's been, we gotta, we gotta be honest with us ourselves also historically and look in the corners that have played this sport, you know, and there's just been ones that have been more productive, better. Leland says, Brandon said it, ha, but I was enjoying the new franchise shaking things up in the NHL for such a young team. Young teams are fun to watch, man, especially young, plucky, expansion franchise teams. Man, those are awesome. Awesome. Watch those kind of players. And how about the Kraken, man? Megan says she's going to get me turned into an NHL fan here at some point. I, I remain reticent to believe that's going to be the case. I'm just probably too old for it. But I love seeing a lo local team doing what they're doing. Jail says, right now, your cat jumped up there. My cat said meow. That was trippy. You know, they're on the same wavelength, man. They're on that singularity wavelength they're all tapped into. You know how it goes. <laughs> Space says, why did we resign Myers right after the season ended? I guess the team thought that once it went to free agency, he was going to cost more. I suppose, or, or they wouldn't be able to structure the contract in the way that they could structure it with him. Uh, the Myers signing remains one of the signings and one of the few signings this off season, uh, outside of having a little bit of an issue with the one-year deals. Uh, it's one of the few signings I have that is a little confusing to me. That, that was a little bit of, didn't, didn't make a lot of sense. And I don't have a lot of good excuses on that one. Leland says, I have a tabby uh, named Roca and an all-black cat named Pythagorean. We're both of the same on that too, Leland. Because of course, my secondary cat, my second cat's black. So I guess there's something to the tabby black combination. And they're to two different personality types, so they don't go together necessarily, but that's funny. That's hilarious. Kelvin, when I started it, we were using Siebel, but switched over to SQL. 
damn, you know your stuff. You're working with that. Liz is, I'm definitely home until February. Summer in Alaska is fantastic. And my son will be old enough to travel with me regularly at the end of the school next year. I'll be in homeschool him and we'll bounce around. That's cool. Sounds fun. Alaska has got to be great in summertime. I imagine nothing, no more beautiful place in the summer. Maze Guru, Drew Locke has all the intangibles, but just needs to stop forcing the ball. Just play within himself. That's all he's got to do. He can make every throw in the book. He's got probably even more mobility than Geno Smith does. He's just got to get better at protecting the ball. And that's a skill that you can learn as you go along in your career. It's not one that if you just have a tendency to do that when you're young, you can't clean up. A lot of young quarterbacks have had that tendency and found a way to fix things. BZ says on Drew Locke being good enough if Geno gets injured. Look how Russ did with the same team. Drew didn't have a real chance with Denver. Watching Geno should really pay off. Fantastic point, BZ. We're thinking of like mind on this as well. I think you've got to look at Russ in that situation given the same kind of supporting factors that Drew had. And though Drew didn't take them to the heights, he was at least able to do more with them than Russ was able to do with them. And I think that's telling for a kid that was much younger than Russ, much younger in his career, not as far along as he's going to be even to where he'd be taking over the reins, let's say this year, another two years ahead of that time of where he was prior. So I, I feel the same way. And I, I do feel all these quarterbacks at times when they do fail in their first circumstance, oftentimes don't get a lot of benefit of the doubt. They failed simply because they suck. They fail simply because they should have hit the ground running. They fail simply because they don't have it. Now they are what they are. We've seen how these narratives can really set. Sometimes it's the case and sometimes it's well-earned with certain quarterbacks. With other quarterbacks though, it's a bit unfair. It's a bit of a, a lazy, just kind of an easy way to sort of to toss him away and not have to think about him anymore. And John Hobbs, I agree on Ken Easley. I'm fully with you guys on Easley to me is the best safety in Seahawks history. He, he was, man, 11, what, 11 interceptions, 10 interceptions in a given year once? 10 or 11, you know, 17 interceptions in a two-year period. Crazy. Alexander says, Brandon, if we make the Super Bowl this year, you should do a 24-hour stream, laughing out loud. I'll do it too. If we make the Super Bowl this year, I will do a 24-hour stream. 100%. 100%. Of the only tough thing I learned about those, those out long streams, I figured this out the draft this year, is if you do a, you know, you do a long stream like a 13-hour stream, now YouTube cuts you off at like 12 hours. That at least is the replay. So you'd have, you'd have to watch live in that second 12 for to, to see everything. Connor says, I do think uh, you have to take into account time differences, though. Even with less uh, passing, it seems like the interceptions were more common 50 years ago versus 10 years ago. Also, corners could be more physical. Agreed. Agreed that there's definitely got to be a little bit of the benefit of the doubt on that from one generation to the to the other. So I, I don't disagree with you that. I guess where I come on it, though, come to uh, down on it is that, you know, if you have a player who's at 55 interceptions... And, you know, you have Richard Sherman. And it's not just about Richard interceptions, of course, playing corners, also about tackling. 
So you you know you've got to give Richard his props as far as his ability to be one of the better tackling corners all time in NFL history. I will give him his props with that. But you got 37 interceptions to a guy that's got 40, 54, 55, 56, and there's a good collection of those guys that have that. I think Sherman sits something like 105th all time in interceptions. 100 something like 105th. He's down there deep, you know. So that's where it becomes a little bit depending on the person and where they feel about Richard, right? Because there's really no, how do we, how do we build into that older generation having quarterbacks that were more free with the ball where interceptions weren't looked down upon as much, you know, how do we, how do we value that a little bit much? Cause then there's the other flip side to that, that you could say as well is that they could be more physical, but they were expected to do a lot more man stuff, a lot more, their job was a lot harder than if you were a guy that's playing off coverage and zone and you just have to stay clean over the top and react to everything in front of you. You know, it's a, it gets into a little bit of a tricky conversation, but when you're that far away, as far as the most important thing you can do as a cornerback is intercept the football. And if you're half of what the top guys are at, as far as your final interception number, if your career was just a tiny bit shorter than some of those cornerbacks who played longer than you uh, and played great for a longer period of time than you, I got to give them the nod over you at that point just from my own personal, but I agree, Connor, you do have to factor that other aspect in of the differences in the way that the game was played and how interceptions were valued or not worried about as much back in the day. Sam, the great champ Bailey has got to be a top five corner. Agreed. Agreed. I can't not put him that. Megan says, B, you are going to the depths with me and you will become a Kraken fan. <laughs> uh, Grung says, I think with ranking quarters, you have to consider both ball skills and coverage. You can't have one without the other. We can Sherman have both. Agreed? Yeah. Bend in it, choice of halibut or salmon. <sighs> Either one I like. Those are one of the few fishes I do like the taste of. Probably halibut. John Hobbs says, was it Lawrence or the coke he was doing? <laughs> Bit of both. Bit of both. Coke couldn't have heard it. Leland liked Ed Reed more than Ray. Ed Reed was phenomenal. You know, one of the more unique safeties in NFL history. Fun player to watch, too. Uh, Joe Fosa Miller says, I think the quarterback situation can go the other way often too. Sam Darnold and Blake Gabbard get too many chances. That's a fair statement, Joseph. Completely fair. I agree. There, there are certain guys that end up get, getting like more. And what to me, I think I drive to with that is that not only is that there, there are those other guys that end up getting too many more, it's all then just off draft positioning. Because who are the guys who we see get the second and third chances? It is your Sam Darnold's, your Carson Wentz, your Blaine Gabbers, right? The guys picked up in the top of the first round of the draft. But then these second, third round guys, if they fail or they don't do right in that first chance, there's not as much of that second chance that comes to them. Is that because they're really not worthy of the second chance? Or is it because this whole draft positioning thing can start to get set into people's mind 
and affixed in people's mind, and not just us as the common fan, but even in NFL circles and the way that they view those players. Agreed, yeah. Megan says, 24 hours, dude? Come on, B. You know I was wide awake for four days for the draft. Oh, I got 24 hours. I can do it, yeah. We got to get to the Super Bowl, though, but uh, I'd be down to it. Maze Guru says, in 24 hours, we'd end up chatting about knitting and cooking. We'd, we would cover a lot, of different, a lot of different subjects over 24 hours. Definitely would not just be sticking on football. That's for sure. Leon says, I got to head out, y'all, but you seeing, uh, uh, but uh, love seeing y'all in the chat more as we get close to the regular season. Go Hawks. Love you, 12. Love, you, love right back to you, Leland. It's great to have you back in the chat, man. Have yourself a great summer out there in Alaska. We'll see you again here on another show soon. Connor says, I guess the best way would be pro football reference AV since it adjusts for league averages each year. Sherman is 20th in career AV for corners with less games played than every other guy above him. I think that's a great, I, at first we were putting that as a guy, eh, I don't know, but I, I think that's actually fair. That's, that's, and that's where, this is where we come back to on my ranking. People say, where's Richard for me? It's like top 15, top 20. That, that seems a more right on the eyeball test. And so for the reference AV score to also kind of bear that out, adds up to me, right, Connor? And like you said, the, the interesting part about that being that by that AV score, which will allow for sort of the sample size of Sherman's career versus other corners that might have played 11, 12, 13, 14 years, um, is that he's played the least amount of the games above him of those guys up, uh, up ahead of him. And so that's, that's a telling part of that. Longevity has got to be a part of greatness's factor. Um, got to be part of the consideration. Mega says, come on, B. You're joining the dark side and your powers are weak to your powers are weak to resist. I'll never join the dark side. I'll never join my father. Besides, what's your favorite kind of salmon? King or silver? I'll go king. But salmon's good. All salmon's good. <laughs> Be Megan's your kryptonite. She's gonna dry on this one. She's dried on the crack and the crack and turn. Man, so jacked on coffee, there's a 24 hour stream. I'd have to end up, I'd start jacked on coffee. We probably have to finish off on drinking just to keep me sustained all the way through. So I don't fall apart. Uh, Mr. Isaac Brandon, do you have any other fun hobbies outside of the Seahawks? Um, I like playing video games. Uh, I do like to write. Um, I like going out and playing, I like playing my basketball, going walks. I leave a pretty, I'm pretty much a homebound guy for the most part. Um, and to be honest with you, the Seahawks stuff does take, tends to take up a lot of time because most of the days we're just kind of grinding on tape or grind on the next video. Um, but those other things I like to do, those other things I'm definitely, definitely down on, but I'm more of a homebody as I've gotten older. I don't like going out as much. I don't like chilling at home, just hanging with my cats, watch a movie or something, or just keep it, keep it chill. Megan says, okay, your Luke Skywalker's impression sucks. I, I don't have a good Luke Skywalker. I got to own that. I can't even fake the funk on that one. Can't even fake the funk on that one. Can't you fade the funk? 
Alexander Brandon, I think you have done two different 12-hour streams. I have done a couple of 12-hour streams before. Never done a 24, but I'm open to doing a 24 at some point. I'm not against it. I could pull it off. Maybe I'd do like a four-hour nap point where I'd be like this for four hours. Just <laughs> but it could, it could be interesting to go hard like that. It could be fun. Maybe we'll do a maybe we'll do a 24-hour stream building up to the first game of the year. You know, just the lead up to the first game all Saturday, watching college football, talking about it. Then just be completely in some kind of weird out of it mode by by game time of the first game. I'm playing the Rams. Doesn't need it. I don't need to be. I don't need to wait for that. We're we're blowing the doors off the Rams. So. Uh, Maze Guru, are you able to make any cash from doing all this stuff? I've, I've been doing pretty good on the channel as far as being able to basically sustain, you know, through last year and not having to do a whole lot of side work. Um, I'm actually right now giving a lot of consideration to going back to the West side at this point, because I would like to pick up a little bit more extra work that is just not as much available out here in Spokane, especially from the IT standpoint of things. So, um, and then I've got I've got literally a psychopathic neighbor that I've just had moving below me. That's like, you know, if you guys don't see me streaming for a couple of weeks, it might, might've been because he killed me. So this guy's a live wire, but, uh, so I'm, I'm kind of starting to think about doing that, uh, and get it back over onto it. Cause, uh, this is doing good right now, but definitely would like to kind of bump things up a little bit more in certain respects, job wise on either side. It's kind of a doing, doing it from a contract standpoint, you get your ups and downs and, you know, sometimes you got, I've definitely been putting more time to the channel. So I've been cutting some of the stuff out, but no, once we get into the season, I'll be rolling on this and doing just fine with this. I'm sure, especially with how much growth we're getting. I mean, goodness, we're definitely going to hit the 15,000 mark this year as far as subscribers. And that's awesome. Awesome. Uh, Megan says, you know, I'll wear you down about just of stealing the crack and be it's my mission impossible, which I've chosen to accept. Well, I'm a stubborn man. I'm a stubborn man, and I do like to dig in. Uh, Mr. Isaac, I may have missed uh, your response earlier, Brandon, but which player from the NFL would you steal from another team if Cap was no issue and no quarterbacks allowed? <whistles> Great question. Cap's no issue, so I don't have to worry about that. Which player above all else? I would probably take Chris Jones. But um, if not, you know, if not Chris Jones, it would probably be Aaron Donald. So I, I would be gravitating towards one, a defensive tackle, you know, above all else at that point. But uh, probably, probably Chris Jones would be the guy for me. Adding him on the inside to this defense would be pretty, pretty nice. Um, if not a defensive tackle... Hmm. That's a toughie. Not a defensive tackle, then probably. Hmm. I don't know. Who would be the other guy? I'm trying to go through some of the names in my mind, but nobody's jumping out to me that's uh, absolute. I don't want a receiver. I don't think a tight end. I was thinking center, right guard. like, eh. maybe a Roquan Smith kind of guy. Something that, something that range. 
something like that. Mr. Isaac, I'm, uh, I'll be on uh, paternity leave starting in a couple weeks. Got my first baby on the way. I'll listen to 24-hour stream while I rock the baby to sleep. Sounds good, man. Well, maybe we'll do a lean up, uh, maybe lean up to the first game. We'll see what uh, people, we'll, we'll throw that out there for folks in the chat here as we go get closer to the season. Maybe we'll do a 24-hour stream uh, uh, leading up to that first game of the season. That might be kind of fun. Uh, John Hobbs says, shout out to the Rally Cat. She appreciates that. Say, say thank you. Say thank you. Can you say thank you? Give me a, give me a thank you. She said thank you, John. I speak cat fluently. Jen Maz, what up, fam? Tor tornado watch here in southern Ontario. Well, I hope you have a nice deep cellar, Jen. Because those are freaky. And that's the only thing it sounds like you can do when a tornado's coming. Just get down that cellar and hold that cellar door closed. Stay safe out there. Don't be a hero. Megan says, stubborn? Oh, really? I have you beaten so many ways on that. You'd be surprised, Megan. I'm a low-key stubborn. I seem to be not stubborn, but then when you look deeper, it's like, oh, man. He's like, he's like dry cement. Greg says, Seahawks fans are in Sauce's head. You'd love to see it. I, I, he's being way too, he's being way too lippy about his worry about this whole situation, in my opinion. Way, 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 way too lippy. Uh, Erickson says, what up, Brando from West Washington? What's up, Erickson? How you doing, man? It's good to see you in the chat. Very good to see you in the chat. Jen Mazum and Hamilton. Well, stay safe out there, Jen. We don't want nothing apnea, so keep that cellar well within hand. I know those tornadoes can turn quick. Jen Maz says, also saw sucks. Yes, he does. Uh, John Hobbs says, cool, very sweet cat. She is very sweet. Uh, she's an awesome cat. Basically, kind of the mascot on the channel here, I would say. Uh, feeling good. And uh, I did want to, folks, do, do a little bit of something here. We're going to kind of get started to wrap up a tiny bit here, but I actually wanted to um, play this for you guys because I did promise this earlier and I've gotten through the chat. So why not play this for you and see what you guys think? This is actually a little bit of the conversation that went down between one... Um, so this is a conversation that went down between Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, DJ Reed, former Seahawk, and Darius Slay, cornerback for the Eagles, as Chauncey is trying to explain here to, to um, Sauce Gardner as to why Tariq Woolen is better. <laughs> so I'm going to play this for you guys. I'll be bouncing right back here to the chat. I, wanna, I, wanna, I do want you guys to see check this out, though. So take a listen to this. Turn down my mic so you guys can hear this. So Woodley plays corner by himself out in Seattle. I said, you and DJ are teamed up. I, I ain't discredit none of that. Hold on. Didn't discredit none of that. This was the main issue. I say it's the market. That's everything I say, bro. If y'all just swap market, don't. So you think you think Woodley just played by himself? Like you don't think they other corner is nice? Bro, what's his and name? Jack, uh, I, 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 30? What's his listen, name? Listen, listen. We're, if we're going to go off of production, we're going off of names. Talk about Mike Jackson, bro. He's just putting the pain, bro. Listen, listen, I'm telling you. I'm chiming in on the conversation that a vet had brought to the light. Listen, I'm telling you. I'm chiming in. I'm giving my honest opinion. Stop pussyfooting it so much, Slay. Huh? Oh, shit. I'm talking about my golf. Oh, 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 okay. No. 
the vet basically, I'm talking about if you put Willie in a different market, regardless of playing with another corner, we're talking about you and him. I ain't talking about hating on you, saying better. The only reason I'm saying he better, and I ain't saying as a person, athletically, we're looking at a football. He out there by himself. He ain't really got no other corner. It's Willie and who? That's the market, how they look at it. Everybody, I'm like, okay, cool, it's you and DJ. And I'm like, okay, yeah, all right. It ain't going to be as much targets because it's you and DJ as compared to Willie. Uh, let me say, let me say something. Because I'm... I'm, I'm I totally forgot that I had my mic off. God, I'm, I'm an idiot. My bad. Mic was off there. Sorry, folks. Um, I got to... <laughs> Jesus. Now, and I have to turn my mic off so you guys don't get the echo. So this is where I need an engineer at times. It's hard to do all these different moving parts um, together. Let me repeat that, Randall. So um, we discussed a little bit. Uh, thank you, Randall, for the $20 donation. He says, what's the deal, buddy? Your interaction with... Uh, hopefully there is some sound now. Sound should be all good back. I figured it out. Can't hear me still? Can you guys hear me okay now? All right, we're back. Got it. Okay. Um, sorry about the sound. I need an engineer, folks. So sometimes it goes off. My bad. Uh, especially if I'm trying to move different things here on my end and show different little deals. I wanted to play you guys that cut and I just didn't, uh, the deal. So fun conversation between those guys online. Gardner's just trying to explain to Tariq Woolen that, you know, or to Sauce Gardner that this is really a national thing. This is something we've talked about as to how this whole debate's been settled seemingly where Sauce is the next greatest thing since sliced bread and Woolen's all right. And you have multiple pros from Asante Samuels to Chauncey Gardner try, trying to explain to this a little bit. This is really a national narrative more than this is about who is the better player because Woolen's the better player. And it's very clear to the pro's eyes. Uh, Randall, thank you for the $20 donation. I just done a real long, illustrious thing that I was trying to show off on that. Um, so we were talking a little bit on this show. You were asking for a synopsis, Randall, and thank you for that $20 donation. What we really talked about at the top of the show was the quarter-quarter half coverage. And the fact that you played this at, at a rate, as I showed on this overhead here over my right side, at 25% rate, you played quarters 7.5% while you saw your cover three rate go down to 34.5%, really being dialed down versus what you ran at prior. And so you've dialed up the quarters at the cost of the cover three. This means that you have more balance throughout the course of your coverages, 13% to cover one, 6% to cover two, 34.5% to cover three, 25% to quarter, quarter half, 7.5% to quarters, now we have a little bit more of a, of a wider range of different coverages that we're utilizing rather than just running cover three, 75, 80, 85, 90% of the time, which then becomes very predictable for opposing offenses. That alone where you're removing the predictability. I think as well, Randall, this quarter, quarter, half defense opens up more for our playmakers to go make plays. You now have Tariq Woolen in, in a press look on the X receiver. The X receiver tends to be on the line of scrimmage, so he tends to be a little bit vulnerable to press looks, which then you know feeds more to the strengths of Tariq Woolen. I think as well, though it's a quarter, quarter, half, where you have to the half side field, the safety, and then you have the corner playing his, his kind of off coverage, not off coverage, but he's, yeah, he's playing off coverage and drop into a deep half. You could also now within this run a little bit more of instances of quarter, quarter man, um, where you've got the, the quarters all in the other places, but now you're just running man coverage with Tariq. But you're, you know, so you're now opening a little bit more of the man-based aspects of things. I also think this allows you to open up Randall to bring down Adams as a will linebacker at times in this defense, and he can come rush off the edge and kind of move around that line of scrimmage as that sort of apex defender role that Alabama has used in this kind of aspect of things with these kind of coverages. Let's not forget that we have Luke Scott, a former secondary coach for Alabama, who, you know, loves these, loves this kind of um, coverage look. 
There's also a lot of little other elements into it, Randall, that I think that, that help, help out to make you a little more complex, a little more less than just being simplified to where you have guys sitting in off coverage, dropping into their deep zones, and quarterbacks can predict that. There's something called a mod um, thing that can be engaged within this coverage by a read, by a look, by one of the corners, one of the secondary players calling it out. The mod coverage scheme essentially means that the cornerback will have the man coverage on the one receiver if he runs deep and outside routes. If the one end, if the one ends up running a shorter route than five yards, the cornerback calls smash or under. So you have some live fire adjustments you can make to these coverages that you couldn't really do with the cover three. Cover three is the safeties in center field. Your corners in recent years playing cover three are in off coverage. They're not playing press and they're dropping into a bail technique. Very predictable, very easy to attack on the smaller, shorter routes. Now you can call out some of these adjustments to maybe squeeze a little bit better down on those shorter routes, Randall. So the quarter, quarter half is a defense that I could easily see start to rise into prominence, not only because it gives you a, a different look to go away from the cover three and cover two stuff that you've leaned so heavily into, but also because it fits to the type of talent that you have on this football team and, and looking to get the most out of these kind of players and put them in the positions to succeed. So uh, I think it's going to be beyond 25% this year. I bet we crack over 30% in that coverage this season. And when going back and playing that, uh, Randall, that play with, with of course, uh, Quandary Diggs from last year that's on this media file I'm playing right now, this, this play itself is coming out of quarter, quarter, half. You know, Quandary's just deciding to cut off his quarter responsibility because of his film study and he knows he can, he knows he can do it. And uh, so I, I, I think that that's, that's why I want to do the show on this. So I think this is going to be a big part of maybe potentially the de- defensive turnaround that you get from this team going into the future is because of this defense. Sorry about that sound thing there, folks. And thanks for letting me know about the mic being off. Space and Randall, appreciate you guys donating to do that. It's my bad. You can text me too, Randall. I'm always looking at my phone if that pops up. Uh, Sajim, where'd you get that animation of beast mode? Um, just type into Google beast mode GIF. You can even search by um, Google um, by GIFs if you do the advanced setting changes and you can pull it out from that. I can always send you, if you want to hit me up by email too, I can always send you an attachment of it. I wouldn't mind doing that. Jen Mays, Julian Lum's going to be fire. Oh, he is. Another guy we talk about, you know, being able to run a variety of different coverages and change it up and, and, and have a certain look this way and come back that way. When you have a guy in Julian Love that had a lot of snaps last year, strong safety, free safety, strong safety, you can move them all around. You can move Jamal then all around. It gets harder to kind of designate what player's doing what offensively. Like they've got two strong safeties in the game. What are we supposed to do with this? How do we treat this? Do we tack this with the pass? But if we do that, Julian Love's not just your typical strong safety. He can play like a free safety. So in certain respects, it's like they've got two free safeties out there. A lot of things you can, a lot of things you can do to utilize him, Jen, and being creative opens the door to a creativity, which is a place this defense has left shut for a very long time to the point that there's dust on the doorknob. Arturo says, Jamal Adams and a Will linebacker is a good fit. He has the strength and the tackling ability to be elite. Uh, he does. He does. And I think uh, looking at this, you know, look at this little image here. The thing that stands out to me here, which is this is the cover six. Cover six is quarter, quarter, half. 
the it, one means the other. You guys ever hear it referenced? But look what the will's doing here. He's got you've got the free safety with the half field coverage, right? So he's going to the depths. You've got essentially the will at this point with two defensive linemen in front of them, so they're kind of protected if you run the defense this way. And the way that you can set it, you can even put him behind the edge if you want to really protect him. But then he gets to be kind of a floater player, right? Because your W or your will linebacker, that's what the W means here in this graphic I'm showing. He could also come right up to the line of scrimmage like we've seen Jamal often do as an edge pass rusher. And whereas before you'd have to do that by removing a safety off the back end, which then opened up the back end to be attacked if you have Jamal come as a blitzer. Now it's not as easy to run that adjustment as an offense if you happen to see him do that from that position. And he also has a little bit of protection there where he's not having to worry about as much of the collisions and having to play you know, pure linebacker role. It's also been a place where a lot of defenses, including Alabama, have utilized a safety in this way, where the, the, the will becomes more of a strong safety than a will at times. And you can see his responsibility, especially with Jamal going to the curl hook or coming back to a robber route to the middle of the field, their responsibilities are so much more eased versus what you ask the strong safety to do at times, as you can see in this cover six looks, which is you got to get to the fourth of the field. You got to go cover half a field. That's is not as much the strength of uh, Jamal Adams's game, I would say. Uh, Maze Guru, uh, the Hawks Nest, would you rather win this year's Super Bowl or get next year's first 10, first 10 draft picks? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um... I'll take the Super Bowl, Maze. Bird in the hand. Bird in the hand, man. Can't get greedy, can't get big eyes. You give me a Super Bowl win, I'm going to go take it. Got to do it. Sounds like the chat's in agreement with me. It's a great question, though. I'm tempted. I'm tempted to take the 10 picks, but yeah, can't quite do it. Jen May says, first half of the season, Dig sucks last season because he was scared. He made it in his interview. Definitely was taking him some time to come back a bit. Understandable. He had that broken foot at the very last game of the prior season. I think it was kind of wondrous that he got back as fast as he could. And he has fantastic instincts, Jen. And not rehabbing, I think, is going to be a big part because so many players do talk about that of going into the season after rehabbing and not being kind of at their full role because they were just getting their body right and not having an off season where you're doing that, but being able to purely train. Um, I do firmly feel Diggs is going to have his best season. More of these different coverages you're running, less of center field approach, back to kind of full health, the strongest, deepest defense he's had since he's been here in Seattle, since he's had in his entire career, including Detroit. I go back round and round on this one. And I think he's going to end up with six, seven interceptions. And we're going to look at this season of Diggs and say this was his best year. Uh, Mega says, B, how much longer are we going? Just felt one of my broken bones in my wrist shift again. Oh, we won't go super long tonight. I got to get some stuff done here on my side of it here. So I got I to look into a couple things. Let's go a little bit longer. Erickson says, yeah, understandable. His injury was pretty gnarly. He knows his full potential and isn't going to BS. Rad dude. Great dude. And yeah, it's understandable. You come off that injury and you come back and play game one. You play all 17 games of the next season after your foot was turned this way while, while your leg's this way. I'm going to have a lot of respect for you. A lot of respect for him. And even with it being that way, you know, he had his hand on a good four or five other interceptions. He could have led the league in interceptions, still kind of working himself back into that form if he had just caught a couple of those extra INTs. Jen May says, yeah, you got to catch KJ all day with Cliff Averill episode. I got it, Jen. I totally watched it. I think all of those are uh, must watch 
um, as far as the Cliff Averill stuff goes. He's asking good questions. They're not just doing what I like about it is a lot of those foreign players can sometimes get you into just some stupid stuff they talk about that nobody, I don't, nobody cares about this. Get onto the stuff that people really want to hear about, you know, and what's good is it seems like it's getting better and they're getting more and more on point with covering subjects and topics and getting into things that are people, what people would really want to discuss. So props to KG on that, Jen. He's doing a great job with it and uh, he's moving in the right direction. Definitely doing a great job. Making says, MB, remember what I said about my father and my stubborn streak? I know, but I got, I got one myself too, so. My stubborn matches their stubborn, I guess. Erickson says, Moffat and Taylor are going to make a jump. I could see it, man. Pass rushing coach they got. Both of them getting another year older, another year wiser. Could definitely see it. Megan says, 10 picks would be epic if it was a great class, but would still take the Super Bowl. I would too. Thing to remember as well is that if you're paying 10 guys top 10 picks, each of those guys is like costing 10 million a year. That's 100 million off your cap. I'm sure you'll find that we would find a way to work with it, but there's some issues that come with just having those 10 picks on top of it, just having the pure talent. It's a good problem to have, but I'll take the Super Bowl. We got to take the Super Bowl, Maze. Got to take the Genesis. So let it be written, let it be done. That's right. Sajin says, it's our time. It's, it's our time here and now, guys, for Paul and Pete. Let's get it done. Let's do it. Jen says, he also broke his leg. So yeah, so it was kind of a one-two there. It's gnarly. That's a hor hor horrible injury. I know you can get back to 100% supposedly from it, but it's one thing to even get back to 100% where your mind, you know, if your mind's had you go through it and it happened, it's like you're just naturally going to be hesitant. It's going to take you a while to get your feet back under you. Full, well, literally back under you. Jeffrey Todd, the Seahawks have been releasing footage of JSN burning Witherspoon. Are you concerned for Witherspoon at all? Or is it just a testament to how good JSN is? I don't know, uh, Jeffrey, if there was other footage that was shown. As I understand it, there's one play. Um, they've shown it. We've seen two different angles of it. So it might seem like it's two plays, but I only understand it as being one play where they're running a, he's, they're running a pick, pick play, a switch release the line of scrimmage. So it's not just purely JSN burning him off the line of scrimmage. It's also the rub route from the outside receiver that's taking Witherspoon an extra couple steps to get around the rub route to then get to the nine route deep. So it's a great route run by JSN. Um, he shows off the quickness that he has and it's a great throw, but I don't think it's anything of necessarily huge concern. It's also with JSN operating out of the slot and not on the outside on that particular play. Yeah, I think it's just one clip of it. Erickson, DK sound of focus this year. Glad to hear. Me too. I love what he's done. And he certainly could be ready to jump out into that 1,400, 1,500-yard type season, especially if he can get some more of those single matchups, Erickson, some more single coverage situations. Tyson says, I just realized we are two 12s, less you know otherwise. If you know otherwise, we will take them. <laughs> no doubt about that. Jen says, I want to get a throwback Bobby jersey. When are they coming? I I don't know, Jen. It's, isn't it weird that they haven't already started kind of releasing them? I mean, it's like free money. The Ox are kind of leaving on the table because I think that stuff would go like hotcakes if they started to release it out. Space says Ninjas, that's that good. He is that good. And I don't want to cover him in the slot. I don't care who I am, Witherspoon or anybody else. That guy's going to be a problem in this league to try to figure out how to slot. He is so quick and so able to just utilize that quickness with great body control on top of it. And there's not a lot you can do at times. 
because he's just, he's just faster in that space than you are. I don't know when they're for sale though, Jen. Week eight, Megan? What are they thinking with that? Why wait to week eight? They'll, get, they'll put it out before that, but they're waiting too long on this stuff. They're waiting far, far, far too long. Uh, May says, Paul, we love you and miss you. Thank you for everything. Thank you for Paul Allen, everything you did. It is appreciated. And uh, Herbicide says, I'm out. Everybody have a good night. That sounds like a good time here too to call it here on this one, Herbicide. I've got to the bottom of the chat here. And so we will go ahead and turn this sucker around here and kind of wrap this up. Let's get the last couple of questions in. I'm going to be coming back on Thursday. I released a community post to members of the channel, patrons of the channel, um, that uh, we're going to be running a Zoom meeting tomorrow. So five o'clock Pacific Standard Time. I've got the link out there. Feel free to join the meeting. Just going to be some open discussion about the channel and uh, questions. Anything you guys might have, just some interaction between me and you guys. So please do be on the lookout for that. I'll be back as well on Sunday. So we're going to be doing an undrafted rookie free agent show where I'll be showing some of the footage and tape of these UDFAs um, that I've been looking over a little bit. I'm going to concentrate on kind of just a, the base kind of five guys. I'll show a little bit of Arquan Bush footage, a little bit of O'Connell footage from Montana. But we're going to be locking in on Landers, Bobo, uh, Jonah Tavai, and Noan Gryffindorth, the uh, Dakota tight end that we grabbed as well. So we're going to be looking at those guys mainly because I think they got the best chance to make the roster. I don't think... A lot of these undrafted rookie free agents have a chance to really make this roster um, based on where their skill set is, based on the strength of this roster and how deep we are. So that's why I want to concentrate on kind of those select guys. But we'll be doing a whole show kind of around them. Be ready for that on 5 o'clock Pacific Standard Time um, as I will be turning it around over to them on that. A um, couple last just little thoughts here from you folks. Um, Sean, I can't wait to see the old school jersey either. I wish we got five, six, seven, eight games of it this year. I would love that. And they'll probably get out Megan early. You know how they do it. It's like the delivery system with Amazon, you know, where it tells you like, it will be arriving in two weeks. And you're like, two weeks. And then you get it in three days and you're like, oh, they just want to set expectations. I get it. Uh, Randall, thank you for the $5 donation. Appreciate you, man, for that other one as well. Very kind of you. Says, besides becoming predictable, what are the negative of the uh, quarter, quarter, half look? Are you less susceptible to certain things from offense? Uh, the main thing that I, when I'm, when, and I dived really deep the past week, especially Randall into this to try and to, to kind of get a grips on that good, bad, and the other, uh, th it's a, it's, it still is a protect deep type defense at its core. It's not cover three, it's not cover two, but there is still at its core. Uh, we want to keep things clean over the top component to this defense. So you are still going to see issues. The main issues that come out on this are going to be the flat routes. Flat routes to either side of the field are going to be problematic because you're having guys dropping with depth on the outside and you don't necessarily have any safeties coming down to squeeze those particular routes. So that's the part that you have to clean up. The slow, the slow um, drag routes across the field work in the same way. So uh, let me put this, let me show you Randall here with this overhead again with the cover six overhead here. It, and again, cover six is quarter, quarter, half. They both mean the same thing. But you essentially end up with Tariq Woolen running, let's say, trail on the X. You have Mike Jackson on the Z. He's dropping with depth. Your free safety, strong safety, drop with depth. You have your linebackers. Let's say the S, which it's listed here as this S is Sam linebacker, but let's say that's a slot. And so instead of the fullback here in this alignment, you have, the, you have that as a slot, the Sam, and you have the uh, F as actually a uh, slot wide receiver. So what would happen there is that guy would be still dropping to depth. 
where you can see in none of this coverage, if you think about the flat routes that you would run, that's where you can easily see how that's exposed at that point in time. And that, that's where it's going to be harder to do that, as well as the slant. So let's take, let's take, for instance, the Y here or the tight end. Let's say that tight end Randall's running a, zag, a, zag, a drag route to the weak side of the field. Okay. So towards the X side of the field. Well, you have your linebackers drop in coverage. You've got Tariq then, you know, rolling with him then in trail technique. That drag route then is theoretically open as long as pass protection can hold up long enough for the tight end drag to get to that side of the football field. So every defense is going to have, of course, Randall, some kind of hole to it or limitations that you can attack. This one would be the, the shorter routes, the flat routes especially kept coming up over and over again. This tends to be historically a defense that you run, you run to counter trips. So it, because trips always gave cover three issues for us, Randall. That was one of the great cover three beaters was to run trips to one side, three wide receivers stacked in a grouping. Um, and this used to be used that way. Now you're kind of using it outside of just those situations. But those are the two main spots, the flat routes and the short drags, guys out there in space like that, you know, maybe even potentially bubble screens at that point, because you, you run the bubble screen and if the safeties in the corners aren't reading that and they're dropping into their bail technique, you know, they're two, three steps now late to get back up there and rally to come make the tackle. So it's the short stuff you got to get good at. Now, the nice thing is, is like there are those concepts I described like mod, where there's still some built-in adjustments the defense can make on the fly as far as a call to then go and take away those short routes. But now it's on the back of the defense to come up with a recognition of it, you know, seeing it pre-snap, having everybody on the same page and seeing it early. Um, rather than post-snap suddenly reacting to it and being caught off guard by it a little bit. Jen Mays has got a lot of tornadoes going, Jen. Get down in the cellar, Jen. Down in the cellar. Sajin says, we are coming. Be ready. Be ready for y'all. Oh, we're coming, man. Uh, Megan says, okay, B and 12s, my wrist is killing, so I'm going to have to say farewell. Been great as always. Been great as always, Megan. You have yourself a great night. Take care of that wrist. Greg Sauce uh, being better than Woolen currently can be argued, but we know who has the higher ceiling. Reek will, net, will have the better career. And you know what? He will retire as the GOAT of cornerbacks. Mark my words. I will mark it, Greg. And I think that he is absolutely on a superstar path more than any, any other player we have right now on this roster. Woolen has got that trajectory ahead of him right now as it currently stands. Um, I am that high on him. I don't know if he'll get to all-time best state of things, but I haven't seen a corner come in and have that kind of season like he did last year, not even Richard Sherman. So uh, I love where you're at with it, and I think I'm probably pretty close as well. Jen Mays, you have a great night. Stay safe with that tornado. Don't get blown away. Uh, Mays must wear the 10 throwback in our chest of steel B. I bet I can see you in that. I can see you in that. Jen Mays says, do you play cover six in nickel or dime? Um... Technically speaking, you can run it in either one, Jen. It's typically seen in nickel or even in base situations where you would run it. I don't think you're going to do it as much in dime. I wouldn't think, but you're not, you're not on a, I'm sure it's in the playbook of every defense that they could run it from that, you know, because at the end of the day, then you're just flopping like on this, on this chart, I'm showing with the cover six, you know, your, your S and your, your W here, which is your will, your weak side linebacker, your will, and your strong side linebacker, your Sam, those become now two cornerbacks, right? And so 
you have the, the the W would be on you know on the line of scrimmage as a cornerback is your nickel corner, and then the S would be as your fourth corner on the other side, and the F would be a receiver as well. So it you could still run their same allotments where the W goes to the curl hook, the S goes to the half flat, right? He can still those responsibilities still fit. They still have the stuff on the back end, and it all still makes sense even if you run it from dime. But I think it's more often if you saw the propensity of it last year where Seahawks ran it twenty five percent of the time. I bet probably. 80, 90% of that was run from nickel or a, or a base rather than, than from a dime aspect of it. Uh, May says, I'm back. I had to have walked the dog uh, without a leash. That was interesting. That's always tricky. Jen, are we going to uh, run screens this year? I hope we do, Jen. I hope we do. The team has not really shown a great commitment to it since Coach Carroll's been here as far as the scream game goes. So you want to make a, you know, a guess about something that sort of hasn't happened in 10 years you think should happen. There's a definite opening in the offense to happen. Some of the, what's held it back from happening, Jen, is the fact that you don't have the linemen that can move out in space to hit the second level blocks. Do you have more of those now? Yeah. Cross, Lucas, Bradford, uh, Oluwatimi. I think these guys are going to be better, better built to go hit those kind of blocks and then make those plays more successful. And you could argue, Jen, why they haven't called the plays as much as they know they weren't going to be successful and why they knew they weren't going to be successful is they knew they had the offensive linemen who weren't really predisposed athletically to being able to run those kind of plays because it requires the linemen to get out in space seven, eight, nine yards down the field to make those blocks work. So I think so. I think so. Um, Jen Mayne says, uh, nice to see you doing a collab with Dan Vines soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Me and Dan Vines are scheduled, I think next Wednesday, I'm going to go over onto his channel. So, uh, we'll be going over there and, uh, doing a little, in, do a little bit of discussing over there on his side of it. So uh, I'll let you guys know on uh, Sunday, the exact time, time angle on that, but yep. Going to go over there onto Dan's side of things and uh, discuss with him a little bit. I want to do a little bit more of the collabs as I can here as we go forward. Jen May says, Sauce will never be six foot four. No, he won't. No, he won't. He will never be no four two either, will he, Jen? And you're never going to get that four two six either. Uh, Megan, uh, doo -doo -doo. oh, must wear the throwback arm chest for the Zorn call, the Zoom call. Okay. That's fair, Megan. I like the Zorn. I like the Zorn jersey. Uh, as I just says, much love, guys. Take it to heart because I do not say this lightly. Once again, much love. Hey, much love right back at you, Sajin. Appreciate uh, jumping in the chat and always being a part of uh, the community as you are. We got some great people here and you are one of them. Jen says, our cornerbacks are more athletic than our linebacker. That's probably true. <laughs> Jen says, uh, GSN's a screen machine. He should be used that way, yeah. He certainly is going to be, I think, featured a little bit with that. And maybe that's a little bit of this too, Jen, is that last year, once you lost Marquise Goodwin, once there was no more Eskridge, you didn't really have the guy you trusted to throw those bubble screens to, to run it that way. You know, and you, you needed just the lineman and you need the guy that can catch it to make some damage happen with the ball in his hands when he does do it. So it's a, it's kind of a, you need them both to make those screens happen. Trenny says, uh, just stopping in. I don't normally get to catch a stream, but I love watching the streams after they happen. Thanks for all you do, B. Well, thank you, Trenty, for jumping on in, man. Sorry you caught me right here at the end of things, just as live, catching me live on just kind of the finishing things of things. But I appreciate you watching anytime you can, live or recorded. Anyway, it, it, it's awesome and helps me out in a lot of respects. So uh, thank you so much, man. I love what I do. This channel is um, by far my favorite thing to do. Somebody saying, well, you got a lot of other stuff. No, I like doing this because this is just so much fun for me. So appreciate you. Alan A says, evening, everyone. Hope all is well. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. 
Megan says, you know, I'm going to keep showing you how good my boy B is. I know you will, Megan. I know you will for sure. <laughs> I know you will. All right. Well, I think we caught everybody up there. We got through all the chat there, so we will go ahead and put a button on this. I will be back 5 Pacific Standard Time this Sunday, and we will get rolling on that side of things. So I hope you guys are getting ready here. We find ourselves now about ooh, 15 days away from the start of training camp or maybe the potential beginning of a very magical run for our Seattle Seahawks. This team has never in its history potentially ever been quite this talented. It's young. It's a matter of is it going to mature fast enough to become a contender this, this year, this fast, this quick. Who knows? But it's going to be one hell of a fun team to watch. There's no doubt about that. With this many personalities, with this many great players, with this many myriad of talents across the board on this team with this much depth, with this old spry coach still ready to try to go out there and make some noise. It is going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. I hope you guys are ready to roll with me throughout the course of the season, through the ups, through the downs, and hopefully the height of heights as we hope to see our Seahawks turn back into contenders once more. I appreciate you guys watching. Do me that favor and hit that like button. If you're not subscribed up, we're just a hair, 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 hair away from 12,600 subscribers. So help get us up over the top. Get yourself subscribed to the channel if you're not already. I would really appreciate it. Uh, Cameron Robinson says, what up, B? Did you play football at some point in your younger life? I played football right up until the point of the start of high school. And uh, for me, I was a real late bloomer, physically speaking, eventually got up to six feet tall, but I was one of those guys that, you know, doesn't make his growth until really late in high school. So uh, I was a, I was kind of a, not a naturally fast guy, not actually super strong guy, you know, didn't have a lot of stuff I could naturally lean on. So I got to about the high school and I had a pretty big high school at that time. We had a lot of people. And so everybody was on the team was six, three, six, four, and you know, just there was not much I could really do. So I went, I took it as long as I could kind of take it for where my ability could take it. Um, but I did kind of run into that wall a little bit where it was, you know, four string of this wasn't really worth a whole lot for me if I, you know, wasn't going to play and there was no chance of it. So it's like, all right, you know, is what it is. But uh, I love the game though. I do love the game. It's good to see you, Cameron. Uh, Maze Guru with the Hawks Nest. I think playing a dime a lot this year with Adams up close may be good. I'd be down with it, man. Maybe he could be your dime defender too, next to Bobby. Maybe he could be the middle linebacker, flip out Bobby instead of, you know, there's some things, different things you could do with it. I like running dime. And I do think there's teams that you play that love going to those four wide receiver sets. And that's the way you counter it. Certainly like the Rams, for instance, they love their dime looks. They love their four wide receiver looks. So, you know, going to that wouldn't be the worst uh, thing to call upon. I just don't know if too, if you do do dime, if the best route then to go is to go to like a cover six look. You can run it from that, but I think that there's some other probably better coverages from Dime that are probably a little more effective, I would say. Jen Mays, you stay, Jen, you stay safe out there. You're in that tornado, so you got to stay. You got to stay safe out there. You got, and Megan says, I'll follow the John Jim Zorn side. We shall see. Maybe you get me by this next Sunday. Who knows? We'll just have to see how it goes. I do appreciate you guys watching. Thank you to all of you guys out there. Hit that like button. I'll be back this Sunday, and I hope I don't have to remind you, but you know, I'm going to do it anyway because I got to do it every time to make sure my folks don't ever, ever, ever forget. Go Hawks. <laughs>